Welcome to episode 105 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that are released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 43 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were amazed by Armalite, forced into a ditch of purest brown by 4x4 off-road racing, and went dive, dive, dive in Red Storm Rising as we try to avert World War III. This week, we conclude our look at the games in November 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, if life has taught me anything, it is that knowledge of the future can be a bad thing. But tell me anyway of the games we have coming up. In this week's collection of Carnage, where we do not debate if a nearly brand cup of soup called Mugged Off would be better than the Aldi soup in a cup, we prepare ourselves for a difficulty injection and plunge back into the warehouse slash Battlestar world of those pesky alien pirates looking to steal our bloody stuff back again in Cybernoid 2, The Revenge. We pick up a top hat from a shop for a job interview to then steal from a sleepwalker. Yep, it's all in a day's work for the ultra crappy Pink Panther. We explore and climb the trees and houses via rope or ladder looking for scrolls, apparently, in the 8-bit picturesque but dreary Soldier of Fortune and we strip down to our pants go bare knuckle and use our t-shirts for goalposts in the urban, gritty and somewhat empty street sports soccer. I get why chicken soup is off-white, but why is chicken noodle soup yellow or tomato soup orange? Who knows? After our little break, we jump into our best new kit, stick on some decent boots and then operate the icons and windows required for some intense and clever footy in the brilliant Emlyn Hughes International Soccer. We shudder and wince at the utterly ridiculous icon-controlled nonsense of Barbarian. Not the palace one, no, no, no. This is the terrible Cygnosis one. We turn our usual side-scrolling shoot-em-up logic 90 degrees counterclockwise and go up for a change, blasting everything in the underwhelming budget blaster Mission Genocide before finally stuffing our pockets with as much trill and birdseed as possible and sailing the perilous seas and navigating a million wooden signs, all to prevent someone becoming a bird in Sinbad and the Throne of the Falcon. You know, there's some real firsts in this episode for me. I've never used a slingshot on a cyclops before, nor has anyone ever performed a hypnotic lip dance for me. Well... Almost no one. Adrian. A fine collection. A fine collection. They're a collection. They are. <laughs> They're like David Bowie. What was No, it's Cliff Richard's <laughs> private collection or Brian Ferry's. We don't That's ever mention like. Cliff Richard's collection of anything. That's true. We probably shouldn't. It's uh, very litigious, I've heard. Well, it's just not worth doing. It's just not worth going there, is it? No, don't do it. It's not. found that in a Christmas cracker once. It said, don't upset Cliff Richard. <laughs> I thought, That's strange. <laughs> I read that in a fortune cookie. <laughs> exactly. It's, that man gets around. He just puts <laughs> the these little messages that, in there. That message. <laughs> he has a long and varied career. He worked one year in a Christmas cracker writing thing. Next year at a fortune cookie. Exactly. It's Kevin Richard. It's his brother. <laughs> Kevin Richard. I thought it was. I thought his brother was Sil Richard. <laughs> and Ledge. Yeah, Ledge. Yeah, Ledge. <laughs> 
Oh, you Leg- ledge. Legend Sil Richard. Yes. Anyway, that's probably who it was, protecting the reputation and the unblemished humanity of his special brother. <laughs> that is Cliff Richard, right. We got uh, What we got? We've got eight games coming this month. Should we get into them? Should we just get going? Yeah, eight, all eight of them, yeah. Let's do it. All eight of them. Let's do it. Let's get into our first one then. Graham, that pleasure is all yours. I say pleasure. It's a tough pleasure, this one, I think. This is Cybernoid 2. Tell us all about it. Very well, I'll do that. Cybernoid 2, The Revenge. Oh, yeah, sorry, The Revenge. I forgot that. Yes, you've got to put that on there. It's very important. So what was the first one? Cybernoid 1. Cybernoid 2, Avenged. Yet to be avenged. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not quite annoyed (laughs) enough for revenge. Technically, of course, in this, before we even start, are you getting revenge, though? Really? Because it's, anyway, you know what? I'm How can you get revenge from just going through a warehouse, which exactly. the first game was? Revenge on what? Anyway, you know what? It doesn't matter because, you know, here we are, Cybernoid 2, £9.95, 91% silver, isn't it? Silver medal. Uh, it's just a sizzler. It's just a sizzler. Sizzler, sizzler sorry. Sizzler. I don't know why I said silver medal. There's no such thing. No, there are. That's for the budget ones. Oh, it's just an S on my sheet. Yeah. Sizzler. Um, sizzler. So it's a sizzler. Anyway, published by Houston, of course. Concept was by Raphael. Is it Checo or Keko? Kiko? I, no, I've never, I never knew. Uh, I, I, I flipped from one to the other. Let's just call him Raphael Kiko because it sounds kind of cool. Kiko, Kiko, cool. Kiko. Yeah. The coder here is Nick Jones. Nick Jones. <laughs> Again. We've seen yeah. him a lot. He won't leave. <laughs> he's around my house now. And the graphics are by Huge Bins, of course. Um, or Hugh Bins, as he's probably really known. Title screen was also by Hugh Bins. And of course, the music is by Haroon, Jeroon, Jeroon, Jerome Tell. <laughs> Jerome Jekko. Yeah, so Mr. Tell to you and me, all right? Uh Mr. Tell. Show and tell. And so finally, Adrian, the sequel to the always challenging Cybernoid finally arrives. Just what nobody asked for. Complete with another amazing Haroon, Jerome, Jerome, Mr. Tell, another Jerome Tell soundtrack. In this particular variant, so in this game, the pirates from the first game have come back in an all-new Battlestar. And once again... You must infiltrate the depths of the ship and take back the stolen cargo. That mm-hmm. ain't revenge. That's just doing the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah. All right. I just, I just I don't know. I feel like I might, I might have to go back to that. As in the first game, there are a bunch of enemies all out to kill you, um, as well as a complex array of single screen puzzle, shoot em up puzzle screens to work through. Puzzle screens. Puzzle. And shoot em up screens. Puzzle. Action is optionally controlled with a joystick in part two and number keys one through seven for your extra weapons. These include bombs, time bombs, shield, bounce bombs, seekers, smart bombs, and tracers. I like that word bombs, don't they? Um, mm-hmm. To activate these, you hold simply the fire button down. That's how it activates them. Seemingly rhyme or reason to the way they activate, though, which is kind of odd, because um, they're just going to spill out of your spaceship like uncontrollably. Anyway, as you shoot enemies, they will drop objects for you to collect, similar to how they did in the first game. And you need to collect a minimum number of those objects. Annoyingly, you need to collect a minimum number of those objects to, to accrue the value to progress to the next level. Something that we had in the first game and which we hated in that game, or at least I did. Um, Also, the enemies will drop extra canisters for you to increase your extra weapons count as supplies of all of your weapons are alarmingly limited. Um, There there is also a rotational shield type object that you will collect and will just spin around your spaceship. Enjoy it while you have it for the three seconds you'll probably have that, (laughs) but it's there. And there's some neat extra parts for your ship, like a reverse shooting gun, which you'll have for about two seconds. Um, so you can definitely have more firepower 
at your disposal in this game. But in the immortal words of Assassin's Creed, or the NPCs in there, Adrian, it won't help you. <laughs> it won't. <laughs> if that spaceship falls off that building, I won't help him. <laughs> I, won't, I won't help him. The game is played similarly to the first Cybernoid. You move and blast your way through a number of linked screens. Each screen contains a load of enemies, things to navigate around and otherwise avoid. Some of the enemies you can destroy. Some require your stronger weapons. Some you just need to avoid altogether. This can and will prove difficult in some of the screens. As you progress from screen to screen, and just like the first game, there is no going back. So once you go to the next screen, you are on that screen. Mm. Do not try and retreat. There is no retreat in Cybernoid. If you die, and you will die, you start back on the screen you are on minus any extra ships. Uh, sorry, minus any extra extras, like the rotary shield, which you'll have enjoyed for all of the three seconds, maybe mm-hmm. even less. Or the reverse gun, which you'll have enjoyed for at least one corridor. And then you have a momentary shield when you respawn, thankfully, because this game would be actually impossible if that didn't happen. And that's the game. That's it. That's essentially, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation of Cybernoid. It's very similar to the first one in almost every sense. The graphics here look really nice and colourful, with only occasional over-sprite slowdown to contend with. Just here and there, but it did happen a little bit in this, a little bit. It does, yeah. Generally, the pace is quite frantic, however. The attention to detail in the graphics means there is some really nice pixel painting type shading, akin to the first game, and it gives the whole thing a nice professional look and feel, nice polish, a bit like Cybernoid did. The music here is stunning. I think it's easily one of the best C64 SID tunes of all time. That's a personal thing, but it is in that top 10, maybe even in the top five. It is a amazingly, brilliantly constructed SID tune, that is start to finish hands down brilliant anyway that's again that's my view but it is brilliant the sound effects though eh <laughs> they're not as good bit no. crap really then so obviously a lot of time went into that music and then he went we need sound effects jerome what are you doing he's like oh man i, I, I should have studied um so anyway so you end up with uh really great music not the sound effects not so much it's a bit spartan in fact in the sound effects department if you put those on expect a kind of silent haunting experience really <laughs> Um, doesn't drive the action properly, so you're going to gonna have the music. Why you can't have music and sound? I don't know. I just I don't know why that's not allowed. I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things. Anyway, one of those things. The game, though, this has nice graphics and that amazing music. There are issues here, and sadly, many of the same issues that occurred in the original Cybernoid. The difficulty level here is bordering on the ridiculous, with very little, if any, affordance given to the player. The action does come thick and fast, which means it's all action, and that's good. Now, that's a good thing. They'll shoot them ups and blasting and thing. That's all good. And the weapons and the shooting and et cetera. Yeah, all that, all the extra weapons, all that. But there are moments when you will meet unavoidable repeated death in this game. Unavoidable. Often, this is at the hands of hard-to-navigate parts of the screen, just like the first one, although they're even worse in this, where you need to carefully navigate between enemies moving back and forth that cannot be destroyed. Now, yes, you've got a shield, but you don't have many of those shields. Yeah. And so, often, getting through those sections is way more difficult than it needs to be. And, in fact, that becomes the thing of the game, not the shooting. It becomes the avoiding of the stupid pattern things. Such a mistake to make, because that shifts the emphasis of this game. It it loses the fun almost immediately. Those marching enemies... As in the ones that walk around the screen edges, they're back again, and they're indestructible. And that can also lead to really annoying deaths, especially if you happen to spawn at the wrong moment. So I feel it felt to me that that's a lot of cheap shots in a game like this. Lots, there's lots of cheap, cheap deaths and cheap silliness. Um, a missile poised at the right point um, and when you spawn on the screen will kill you just as soon as you arrive in this game. And that's a, that's a bit of an old that's a bit of an old issue. So you know, I don't expect to see that in a kind of a modern shooter 1988 game. And we've played Armalite in the last episode and all of these problems we thought had been ironed out. So Yeah, well you spawn respawn in Armalite, you're you're invulnerable for a 
Yeah, and you are in this, but it, but it won't help you because sometimes yeah. you'll just when you come on the screen, you're at the top, and the missile's launching towards you as you appear on the screen. And by the time your shields run out, your missile hits you because you can't move because it's just you. So I suppose granted, over time you might learn this, you might learn some of the screens, you might learn where to be and whatnot. But that's a frustrating thing, isn't it? That makes progress in the game very all or nothing. So you're either because in this I found I was either going through a three or four screens very quickly. And then stuck on one screen for what felt like, you know, for ages and, and very difficult to get through. Mm-hmm. Almost always involving things that go left and right where I've got to squeeze through a gap and through a little bit of the lands, bit of the environment in some kind of way, almost almost every time. So you'll find yourself blasting through lots of levels and then getting held up in the ones that require that tricky navigation. Add to that, the samey nature of what you're doing from screen to screen. And well, great music and graphics can't help you shake the feeling that you've played this all before and got bored before the exact same reasons as before. It's an accomplished game, all said and done, this, with spit and polish and fire of a well-produced C64 shooter. Note the word produced is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. It's challenging, but insanely challenging, and that would drive many um, to go at this for a while, I suppose. Some people might like that, like that kind of challenge, just think, right, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to just keep going at it. Not me, though. I'm not like that. I quit very easily, sorry to say, and I did with this because I found it just, I found banging my head against a wall is not my favorite thing to do. So it put me off. I don't think there's any doubt that to get through this game, you'll have to use a cheat because I can't see a way that this is actually possible for anybody without. With the best reflexes in the world, some of those levels, if with three lives at your, at your helm, if you haven't collected any extras, I don't, I cannot see a way you would get through it. I mean, maybe there's some, I know that we say this every time, and there's always the person out there that can do that, but. I don't think that's the majority of the people in this. A lot of the people are going to get stuck on maybe three or four or five screens in. Could be the sixth or seventh screen. You might be on level two. They all kind of look the same. Um, so I've always had a soft spot for Cybernoid 2, but that's actually because of the music, which I think is fantastic. It reminded me in, in a way that of the way I like Knucklebusters. I don't like the game. I love the music. Same with this. I remember Cybernoid 2 for that. And I'm grateful for it because it has brought that piece of music into my life and I love it. But mm-hmm. I don't think this game is very good. I think it's more of the same punishing, ridiculous shoot 'em up stuff, which I didn't enjoy in the first game. So sorry, sorry, Houston. Sorry, uh, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones, calling Mr. Jones. I am not a fan of this. Likes pretty, but nah. Did you like it? No, I've never liked them. Game is just it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous in its difficulty level. And there's there's no amount of great music and all lovely visuals can mask it. It's just, you can't. It's, it's, we played a game last week that arguably looks better, that is more friendly, that plays better, that, is, you know, Amalite just comes along, it's just come along and gone, punk, <laughs> this is how it should be done. Yeah, it did plant the flag, didn't it? The thing with this is obviously it's Raphael Checker, so it's come from the Spectrum, it's a Spectrum conversion. Um, it's a good Spectrum conversion, it's used a C64, but it, is, it has all the tells of a Spectrum game. Single screens, no scrolling, keyboard, yeah. you can see it, you can see it, it's a Spectrum game, ported over and, and it's a design that was prevalent on that machine and the c64 can mm. do better than this and we've seen better than this and we saw better than this last week that triumvirate ships that are on the front cover the amalite one should just be way out in front and the cybernoid one should be going yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh it should be in single color yeah just i mean from the get-go i first i, I started this i moved up I shot that thing and the explosion killed me. Yeah, yeah, you forgot about that. Yeah, I've it's like, it loads in this. it's like stupid. It's like, yeah. Okay, I know yeah. you, you're going to, this is an assumption that you played Cybernoid. You thought that was hard. Well, get a load of this. You're going to die immediately through no fault of your own just because you don't know that there's going to be a, yeah. an explosion being yeah. going to come straight out you and kill it. Done. Ridiculous. The second screen, you've got to try and get your way down. I know you can use your, your power stuff to kind of, you know, your, your special thing is, but like you said, it's awkward. Trent, you've got to get down to that thing that's shooting homing missiles or shooting missiles directly at you. Um, yep. It's just awkward. Awkward. It's just annoying. And did you notice that, I mean, I, I, I found 
that controlling it with with the four options of the first game, when you've got seven extra weapons to choose from, it just becomes, it's just too frantic a game to have that moment of distraction for me. I just yeah, and you, do it. And, you, and like any of these, you need to know what weapon you need to be having ready to go onto the next screen. Yes, And that's do. not... You, that's not good design. That's just a memory test. And I know shoot 'em ups are a memory yeah. test, but they're also reaction based. And this isn't. This is just we can remember that. Remember that. It's, and like you said, maybe it's a puzzle. But it's, it's, no, I just don't like this kind of thing. It's not one thing or the other. I never quite understood with these why you can't go back back to the previous screen. I don't get that. I don't either. I mean, it must be some technical thing where it's just getting rid of it out of memory or something. But I can. Uh, but you should be able to. You can in loads of other games, mm. but you don't. You know, a lot of these Spectrum games that we play, mm. you know, these Raphael Checo ones, Commandment Jones, these like Exelon, you can't do it there. You can't go back. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's fair. that. It's that design ethos of like constantly moving forward. But uh, you know, I w- I'd like to go back. <laughs> I want to, you know, go kill some. Well, stuff sometimes off. it's handy, and it just be able to flick back and then come in. And flick well, back also and as come well, in, there's, there's that fourth. You get to the fourth screen. There's a load of sort of green blocks in the top right that you got to blow up. That's you right. Shoot, yeah, you can shoot them all, and there's two ways on to the next screen. Yeah, yeah. One so is death, like, right? Uh, well, which one do I pick? Because yeah. I can't. Co- if I'm going to the wrong one, you think right. I'll actually double back quick. I've gone the wrong way and go back. No, you can't do that. And that's yeah. when this becomes a problem because yeah. you're making choices based on no knowledge. And I don't yeah. think you know. It's like it's like people say we've been saying it, but it's about game design. When my, when we're talking to our students, it's like don't make leaps of faith in platform yeah. games. Don't do leaps of no. faith because you shouldn't do that. The players should know that they either they can make a jump and there's something there to land on. Yeah, you know, have enemies Absolutely in the way right. and stuff, but don't do that. Don't make me have no. to guess because here, of course, it's a no escape. Same philosophy, isn't it? So yeah, you you because so, if you go through that, go through that. Because if you do go through the top one, you're dead. And you're like, Pretty oh, much. I die if I do that. But you're like, well, hang on a minute, because one of those little walkie things is going around, isn't it? Yeah. But like, but like, like I said, cheap shots. That's that's just cheap. That's cheap, cheap game design. Cheap way of cheating you out of a life. It, it, it's it's no it's no different to there are two doors in front of you and one will kill you. Yeah, it is that. It's exactly it's the, that. It's, yeah. it's that. That's not game design. That's not anything. No. That's just that's just the basics of going. Well, I've got fifty fifty chance of surviving. Exactly, and I don't. I don't be. I don't have time to work out the Nash equilibrium of Cybernoid before I go <laughs> through a door. I'm just. I'm just going to go through it. Exactly. Uh, anyway, so I'm not like you rightly said. There's no denying the technical level on display here. You know, the graphics are great. The sound is great. It's all very well put together. There's lots of clever special effects. There's lots of powers and whooshes and bangs and stuff and everything going off. And there's a tiny bit of slowdown, but it's all very nice in the fact. But this game is just average and it's just downright vindictive. And it's just no yeah. fun. It's a vindictive. Word, actually, yeah. Back then, I, th- I think it was the same as you. I like the I like the music because I heard the music in oh so many demos. Got <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah, you will have done because I used it in loads. Yeah, absolutely. Probably why then? Yeah, but in other demos as well, it was just everywhere. That cybernoid music and your own your own tells music was just everywhere in demos. So I heard it loads of them, but I never liked the cybernoid games back then because you never. I never thought about it. I, just, I don't like I don't like these. Now, being older and understanding games, and I can, when we've just discussed, I can fully understand why I don't like them. They're not well designed. I don't think they're not fair. Yeah, absolutely. they don't have the enjoyment of the player at the forefront of the design. And no, that I think no, is I agree. the difference. What we saw with Armalite last week to this is it, it's just polar opposites. It's, this is pretty, but it's just horrible to play in every way. I may sound like I'm really down on this, but I, I don't like the Cybernoid games, and I think I haven't backed Spectrum. I just don't care for them. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm completely in agreement. So sorry, Cybernoid. Sorry, Houston. No. No, not get brothers. off my land. <laughs> and like you said, what's it revenging? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's just no, 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 no. Revenge of the angry forklift driver. It's kind of what you are, really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much actually. Yeah, because you're only in it. You're just stealing stuff back. It's like, yeah. all right, okay. No, not for me. I don't like it. There we go. Cybernoid two. I'm not going to make the obvious. No, we're not allowed. <laughs> we're not. Not anymore. 
We've been told. Let's move on. I'm sure we've got something better coming up. say that every, every week time. every, every week. time every week uh, okay uh, pink panther <laughs> this is P- the pink panther this is nine pound 99 this is uh, from magic bites via gremlin graphics and this is pink panther the game of the very popular film and cartoon series so just as a quick overview of how we got here let me tell you uh, according to the wikipedia I, I thought the cartoon came first, but no, the Pink Panther is an American media franchise primarily focusing on a series of comedy mystery films featuring an inept French police detective, Inspector Jacques Clouseau. The franchise began with the release of the first film, The Pink Panther, in 1963. So that's where this started. Mm-hmm. The opening title sequence, which the animated sequence, was such a success with the United Artists executives that they decided to adapt the title sequence into a series of theatrical animated shorts. By the autumn of 1969, the shorts were being broadcast on NBC during Saturday mornings on the Pink Panther show. Kind of handy, got its own show. After 1969's new shorts were produced for both television broadcast and theatrical release. And that's where we got the animated version of the Pink Panther. Weirdly, there was uh, it, we then got an animated version of Inspector Clouseau. Kind of odd. Oh, we did, yeah. And there was the, that version as well. But essentially, this is where the Pink Panther came from. It, it's a series of films with Inspector Clouseau where the, the Pink Panther itself is a, a large diamond with a bit in the middle where it's supposed that's to right. represent the shape of a leaping panther. And that's where it got its name from. Uh-huh. And the first film, uh, yeah, so the, the, and, and that's what it is. So there's a number of films, and the, the most popular one starred um, Pete Sellers as Inspector Cluto. Uh, and obviously, if you haven't seen them, you should go watch Pink Panther Strikes Again because it's yes, genuinely immediately. genuinely one of the funniest films and we reference it all the time in this usually yes. uh, Ainsley I watch Jarvis. it very regularly I still watch that film very regularly <laughs> absolutely it's, just, it's easily the funniest one of the lot yeah it is by far in fact I sent you the uh, moat sequence I think the other week you not, did not too long yeah. ago and also yeah. the uh, interrogation sequence which yes. is just dead funny moat sequence interrogation sequence <laughs> there's so, so much good stuff in that film this, just go immediately go and check it out because it's the <laughs> yeah. best one it's ace not this game though <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. Onto the game. All right. A lot of people worked on this. A lot. I'm yeah. gonna. I'll try my best to, to get some uh, pronunciation right here. But it's got code by Volker Maron, Holgi German, Holger Krekel, Uwe Grabosch, Stefan Schult, Oliver Hein, and Fabian Rosenschein. With graphics by Bettina Wiedner, Udo Graf, and music by Fabian Rosenschein. So that's a lot yeah. of people worked on this game. <laughs> I don't think they all worked on it at the same time. <laughs> No, that's a lot of people. And I can only assume that some of them stood around and nodded because I can't understand how it took that many people to produce this turd. I don't get it. <laughs> this is like, no, they can't have. This is a game where no. it's possible to possible on the first screen to end the game and force you to reload from scratch. <laughs> you know what we said yeah. about what we, what we said a moment ago about Cybernoid, where it gives you two <laughs> options and one either die. At least it then up go, reload. <laughs> I mean, that is ridiculous. That's That's... Not a good thing. Um, no. And I think whoever thought that was a good idea needs a strong talking to, at the very least, and escorting from the building. Mm. Not not the greatest idea. No. So, yeah, when the game loads, the majority of the screen is Commodore Pink. I suppose Pink Panther, okay. So on the, right is, on the right is a palm tree, at the top is a shop, and on the left is a badly drawn sign that says Jobs. Uh, it's not Steve Jobs, just Jobs. So there's just three things. They're just floating, and at the, uh, that's, that's it. So the bottom of this is the UI. It's got the Pink Panther's face and a thought bubble coming out of it, which is empty. 
which is a kind of apt for this game. The name of the game, and there's a bag of money. Somewhere in amongst this floating nonsense is our titular feline hero. So there's just the pink panther sprite just in the middle sort of thing, and there's these three things in, in whatever, in, you know, on different sides. The plot to this is that the pink panther has no money and has decided to get a job as a butler in order to rob the houses of those who employ him. That's it, really. In order to do this, and that's it. That's it. That's the game. That's the plot. So in order to get to these houses, you must first of all buy the right attire to get past the job interview. Okay. So what this means is you move to the left on the title screen to the job sign. All you got to do is push left. You don't have to hold left. Don't, for whatever you do, well, unless you want to get to the powder and end the game and reload it, push right. Don't ever push right. I'll just tell you that now. Don't push right. Don't do okay. it. Push to the left. It will see Mr. Panther saunter off to, um, across to the job side and, and then to, onto another screen where he will slowly walk across to a menu that just says level one, two, three, or four, and you can pick one of them. Then if you pick one of them, you walk past the menu onto a, another screen and you've got this small image in the middle of uh, like a job interview and there's a guy sat behind a desk from side on and the Pink Panther stood there. There's like a little thought bubble comes up with the thing you've got to buy. So the first thing you've got to buy is a hat. Okay, so you've got to buy a hat. So then it puts you back to that title screen. Okay, so you press up to go to the shop. You walk to the shop, and then you've got that same kind of image down the side, and you can cycle through things you can buy. The only one I recognized was a hat. I don't know what the others were. There was other things. So you buy the hat, and then you go back out the shop. You go back to the job sign, walk across the thing again, pick level one again, do the job interview again, at which point you've got the hat, so then you can get into the actual game. Okay, why does this all take so long? Why this back and forth? What's the point here? I don't understand any of no this. Idea. Why, like I said, why if I press right by accident, do I end up boozing on a tropical island, shown in a still image, <laughs> and have to reboot the machine to try again? <laughs> like, what, what, what is this? Why? Why not just start me in the game itself? What's the job interview bit for? Who cares? Just say which level do you want to pick? One, two, three, or four, and you're in. There's no rhyme or reason to any of this. Nope. Anyway. Once you do get to the location, what you've got here is this flick screen thing where the owner of the house is a sleepwalker, um, and that's not the vampire cat kind from the crap Stephen King film, um, who needs to be guided around so that they do not walk into stuff and wake up. It's kind of like you basically, you've got to walk around and collect some bits and bobs while the, guy, while the, the sleepwalker is walking around, and you essentially, you be, you've got when you stand there with your joystick, pushing left or right and press fire button, you're like uh, one of the blockers from Lemmings, and then when, he, when the yeah, sleepwalker yeah. hits you, he'll turn around and walk the other way, so then you've got to make sure he doesn't walk into a wall or anything in his way, because um, if, if they do, they wake up, and if they wake up, walk into anything and they wake up then the level ends and should this happen you're back to the title screen and you've got to go buy the hat again <laughs> and get through the interview again i mean you can just go and yeah. get the hat and do it so you can obviate they'll go do you have to talk to him but the fact is you've no longer got the hat he's taken the hat off you at the first interview so you've got to go buy a new hat and then go back and do the interview again to get back into the game where you've just failed this takes a good couple of minutes I mean, it felt like hours. It felt like forever doing this time and time again. Um, so then you get back to the house, you try and guide them around, but they walk into a wall, you're back to the title screen. And at this point, I pressed right because I was more happy at that bloody palm tree and having to reboot the machine <laughs> than playing this sodding game. Here, here. This is a bad game on every front. Slow, turgid nonsense. The graphics are blocky. Oh, the main sprite, yeah, it's okay. It looks like the Pink Panther, I guess, in a C64 Pink Panther style. But everything else is odd and weird, and it's really icky. I can only assume this might have been a deport down from the sort of 16-bit versions. So I've seen some screenshots of them, and they look a bit better. So there's an Atari ST version. I'm not sure if there's an Amiga version, but I don't know. And then on top of all this, I mean, just to say that these guys, they did clever and smart, if you remember that. And oh. that 
and that tells you everything that. you need to clever know. Clever and smart. Clever and smart, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So then, on top of all that, what's the one thing about the Pink Panther that everyone remembers? Well, I'm going to hazard a guess. Mm, could it be... I'm thinking it might be that music. How do you get it wrong? It's not even in it. I don't know what this is. It's just some... It's not... It's like a bad Jaws rendition. How do you get it so wrong? We've bemoaned, you know, other games that don't use iconic music. We had Danger Mouse. I think we had Scooby-Doo. Grange Hill. Grange Hill. And things like that. Thundercats, yeah, so many, but they don't use it. Now, I just don't get it. This is just, this just, it, there is something here, but it's not that tune. And just, why is it not there? You think about, you know, I don't mind the idea of the game, of the Pink Panther sneaking around somewhere where somebody's like sleepwalking and maybe they were a bit slower because they move too fast and it's too awkward. You can walk into stuff. You just, you, if, you, if you hit, if you walk into certain parts of furniture, you just back to the title screen. So it's all horribly wrong. I don't actually mind it. And so they put a bit of atmosphere into it and it have had you creeping around to that music, dun, 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 which was always the music when like David Niven is, you know, trying to rob the diamond in the first one and everything like that and things like that. That music is built for that. Just they don't. And it's a mess and it's horrible. Um, you know, just just pointless. This is what what a you know. We've looked at games like this. Thought it reminded me of that other stupid one, that Werner, where you had to build a bike and had no knowledge of what to do with it. It's just it's just rubbish. God, just, yeah. There's there's a game. There is an idea here, but there's it's so badly implemented. Awful. It's an awful thing. So much potential wasted on this because there is that idea, but it's just terrible. Just awful. It's got what did it get? I got fourteen percent. Too generous. This is another clacker for the uh, big old list at the end of the year. I think this is another contender as far as I'm concerned. <sighs> what do you think? It's utterly shit. <laughs> I mean, this. I, I don't. I'm not going to add a lot more to what you said because I agree with absolutely everything. It's just rubbish. As soon as it loaded, I was like, I, I knew. <laughs> I knew as soon as I saw as soon as I saw that title screen, which I thought, all right. And then as soon as that that I was presented with the you know the palm tree, the shop, and the sign, I'm like, right, something's <laughs> gone wrong here. It's like the worst. It's like the worst tarot reading ever. Fortune, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fortune was <laughs> you have much misfortune. You have the sign, the shop, and the palm tree. I see that your travel and a new hat is in your future. <laughs> Why did I have to buy a hat anyway? Why did they make that weird convoluted story necessary when I'm just stopping somebody from sleepwalking? To try and rob them. Let them sleepwalk then. It's just, I don't know, I'm trying to make sense of something that's stupid. But more to the point, really, I suppose. It's a couple of things I'm going to, just as because I agree with everything you said, the graphics are just rubbish in this. Everything's rubbish. It's, just, it's 14% worth of rubbish. It's absolute garbage. But there's just a few things I want to know. Firstly, I would imagine that, I don't know if Blake Edwards is still alive. I suspect he's probably not. That's the guy no, that directed No, he died away a while back, I think. But if he's probably going to jump up out of his grave and beat someone, is someone's in for a proper, you know, a proper UFC style beatdown here for that. Yeah. Secondly, Henry Mancini's theme is the Pink Panther. It was it's Oscar nominated that that music. Yeah, it, it's not just famous. I mean, it is world famous. Everyone remembers that. Everyone remembers that. Some people remember that. You know, have you ever seen a Panther that is pink? Think a Panther that is positively pink. Yeah, Some people one, remember the American. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that all of those things are still better. The main, the main conceit of the TV cartoon was the Pink Panther used to have this kind of walk. He would walk to the rhythm of the music. And he had this kind of skip when he walked. Famously. Yep. Famously. He did this little skip when he walked. Famously. And he was just so cool and casual about everything. You know, he's think pink was the kind of thing, wasn't it? it was just He was Mr. Cool. Mm -hmm. Mr. Casual. Nothing phased him. He was just, you know, hey, cool. No. That ain't 
this thing. I don't know what they were told when they made this. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know what they were told when they, what information they were given about the Pink Panther. Clearly not a lot. No. And I don't know what they were told afterwards when somebody, when they presented that going, right, where's the finished game? Then, and they all sat down, all 19 of them all sat down and sort of went, here is your game, monsieur. And they owed it. It was like, okay, no one's getting paid. <laughs> I'm just telling you that right now. It's crap. Nah, rubbish. I mean, I was never a huge fan of the, the Pink Panther cartoon per se, or the Clouseau ones. I like the films and I like that particular film. This is just not related to any of those things anyway. So the only thing it's got in similarity is the color pink. And even that's not the right color pink. So no, Come get lost. Pink. It's just rubbish. You know, this from the set. It's, I mean, I didn't think it would take much to Flintstones game that we played was dreary and it put it and Flintstone looking. This is way worse than that. And that took some doing. Mm. Terrible waste yeah. of money. Ten pounds. Get lost, you rip off merchant. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Stink Panther. I think is the, uh... <laughs> very, good. very good. Yeah, very is good. The, I agree. Uh, yeah, not is good. The rating on this one. Not good there you go. All. I'm off to the palm tree before I lay down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It comes to something, isn't it? When you're the best, best choice in game is to actually just it's to end it. Yeah, it's to end it. <laughs> <laughs> Reboot your machine and snap the disc. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. All right, that's it. Stink Panther. Let's move on. To the next one. That's Graham. Over to you. This is a strange one, but how did you find being a soldier of fortune? Could anyone soldier find you? Soldier of fortune. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find them. £9.95 again. Mm. Um, 66 whole percents this got. It's from Firebird. Firebird, developed by Graphgold. So the creator is John Cumming. And the title screen is Paul Doc Doherty. Good old Mr. Doherty. Hey, Mr. Doherty. That and man's angry on the title screen. He is an angry man. <laughs> Very angry. He is. And it's, you know, graphics wise, and that screen's, you know, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay. There's a whole lot of, there's loads of story for this game, loads. So I'm going to summarize it because there's no point in going through all that. It's not what you call mega original either. Just warning you. An ancient evil called the Zodiac Power Source got broken by a meddling mage called Krillis. Net result? Trouble for the lands of Ebeldown. Enter Tartarus and Terran, you and a mate potentially, uh, who must search the land and find the parts of the Zodiac power source and reassemble it and then return it to the house at the start of the game where you start. So you start like a house. All before 12 moons have passed. By the way, 12 moons passing is about 354 days. Yeah, it's a year. Yeah, yeah, it's a lunar year. (laughs) So a lunar year, that's used in some calendars. That's 12 synodic months. That's 12 cycles of lunar phases. That's 354 days. A cosmic year is the time, about 225 million years, needed for the solar system to revolve once around the center of the Milky Way. Okay, just want to be clear about that. Um, so this <laughs> so this is an arcade adventure. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> this is an arcade adventure akin to the Phylord-ish type deal, mm-hmm. but with the sprites and game graphics of Ghosts and Goblins or even beyond the Ice Palace. Yeah, that's what I've said as well. Either way, it's all a bit miniature and that's kind of an issue for me with this, but it's a bit miniature and a bit, well, I don't know. Anyway, so the game then sees you walking around and jumping, though somewhat problematically jumping, I felt. In this. Yes. Some reason I found the jumping quite awkward. Yeah. Through a series of scrolling levels, mostly woodland. Um, here you can climb up rope ladders or just ordinary ladders, the presence of which disturbed me. Why? Either choose ropes or ladders, but don't have both. <laughs> don't have both. <laughs> <laughs> just choose one or the other and either avoid, uh, shoot or avoid enemies which will appear and or find the parts of the Zodiac you can also enter houses here and if you want to buy scrolls gets a bit mm. gnarly when you start look, uh, talking about what scrolls and elements you need to advance in the game there's 12 magical planet scrolls which you need to help rebuild the power source 12 different magical Zodiac scrolls that help you get nearer the end of your quest 
and four different magical tablets that will help you open up certain parts of the levels and doors, etc. And we all clear on the types of scroll you need. Very clear. Essentially, wander around and look for that. To get those, yeah, wander around, go in and out of places, walk around avoiding stuff. You've got weapons that all feel a bit useless in this game. <laughs> you all feel a bit underpowered and useless. So the main part of this game is walking and moving around. And, well, the graphics are good for some of the backgrounds, but your sprite looks like a red spaceman. Um, <laughs> she does. The, the enemies uh, are all kind of tiny. And, well, it's just, <laughs> it's just on the wrong edge of clunky. And it lacks a bit of clarity, I think, with the graphics. It's not often I say this, but bigger sprites would have worked better in this game. Slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like a miniaturized spaceman from the future night games. And that's never a good thing. A medium res miniature sprite? No, 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 no. Not good. No. So the formula for all these arcade adventures in terms of how they function is kind of well established by now. So this offers little more than, you know, things to map for those that like to map things. There's, there's a lot of game world to explore here for those that like to explore. But at 10 quid, though, are there not better and more engaging budget games that do this already? Yeah. Main state, the main screen of the game, of course, is the game window. There's a UI, a, a UI in there of sorts. And you, when you go in, you can choose different icons. And there's representatives of those things. They're not described in the instructions particularly well, but they're there. So for me, the main problem with, my, main problem with this game was that it sort of looked like the wrong game that it was. So going into this, you think, oh, it's like a bit of Ghosts Ghost and Goblins, but it's not like Ghosts and Goblins. It's like Fire Lord. You think, oh, okay, maybe it's like Fire Lord, but it's not enough like Fire Lord. It's too, too much like Ghosts and Goblins type game. So it's a weird hybrid of the two, but not as good as either. Nope. And so then you think, okay, well, so it's an arcade adventure then. If that means wandering around all, the, all over the place, just going in and out of houses, looking for scrolls, count me out, because it's just not very exciting to do that on this sort of scale. So I found that... £9.95 was a bit of a big ask for something that had a big sounding name, Soldier of Fortune. And there is a two-player variation of this, isn't there? So you can do a two-player thing. Um, Mm. I didn't obviously do that. Um, And I don't know if that adds more value to something. I don't know that it does. I don't think I would have lasted uh, 225 million years with this or 12, (laughs) you know, synodic months. Um, I didn't last 12 synodic minutes, really. I I tried to get into it, but I think my takeaway from this is really... If you take away the looks and the look and feel and the issues around that, what's left? Well, there's better games that do this stuff for those the people that like this, but for those really hardcore mappers and explorer types that like this kind of game, maybe you're going to get something from it. But I don't think there's enough of that in this for those people. And I don't think there's enough things to kill for those people. So I don't think this game has an audience. It certainly didn't have one with me. Did it have one with you? No, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> End communication. <laughs> <laughs> end of line uh and the, the thing is right in these kind of games you've got to have some help and guidance you've got to have something and, and that can just be actually telling you what the scrolls are a simple thing like going what am i buying i'm buying a jiggly shape what's that yeah. what is it is it any is it anything i don't know what you get that bit of the big oh, it's weird you just need some help and guidance and i yeah i know this ghost and goblins file or sort of hybrid it just gives you nothing it, I was just left meandering around trying different ways to see what might happen, like going into houses, going into stuff. And sometimes yeah. I'd get into the house where I would, it would there'd be a, you know, a Ghost and Goblins platforming level, which I would complete to find another house to go in to buy more stuff that I didn't understand. Like the, <laughs> the reward's got to be better for this. It's just, no, no. The moment to moment to play here is just, it just doesn't warrant any kind of exploration or actually drawing you in. The shooting's too pedestrian. What is that thing that you're initially armed with? Yeah. It's, there's like... some sort of floaty sparkly thing it's like sparkles yeah it's not good why why can i not walk past mushrooms yeah you've got to jump over them badly why (laughs) 
Why can't they just be part of the background? Just to, just, I think it's just to make it more difficult to just so you can't just walk across yeah. endlessly quickly. Exactly. And the pla- so the shooting's too pedestrian to be fun. The platform is dull, and the graphics are a weird mess of eye clashing colours. It's way weird colours. Yeah, why just, am I in clash. what looks like a spacesuit in this fantasy adventure? And yeah. why is this called Soldier of Fortune? Which brings to mind not fantasy. No, no. Green Beret type thing. Exactly. It's just it's a weird mess of loads of different stuff that none of this works. And don't get me wrong, it might be technically well put together, like we said about um Cybernoita. But and there's some nice presentation touches that you know, that title screen looks pure pure graft gold. It, you yeah, know, it, is. it really is. But there's no immediacy or guidance on offer. There's just none of it. And so you're just left jabbing at things and it'll, you know, and, and then tr- trying to sort of goad monsters out of pots to shoot and get some gold yeah to try what and was to, all that about yeah and then faces to tr- and pots and that it's just odd and then to, you know to then go to a, go into a house where you've got three things that you can buy none of which you know what they are and you go uh okay oh you got no enough gold now uh, what have i bought nothing seems to have changed damn it you know this game lost me really quickly so no i didn't know what i was expecting i wouldn't give it 66 percent or maybe no. it would because maybe it's like it's that two-thirds score isn't it it's two-thirds yeah there. There's two thirds of it are all right, but there's a yeah. missing, big chunky missing bit. So yeah, uh, just give the player some help. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah. Funnily enough, I mean, I, I know I like that intensity game, but that had a similar problem though, didn't it? In, in yeah. the way that it was under described instructions. Yeah, so, it really yeah. does. Yeah, we we, get, we see a lot of that. And I think it's the same thing we said about Fire Lord as well. It's just a lot of these arcade adventures back then, and I get it, you know, they learn the thing, but they just leave you to... And I know that was a thing back then because you played one game or whatever, but the problem is you didn't. You played loads of games. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have played... I would not have played this for more than about 10 minutes back then. I'd just been like, no. Nah. Because like you said as well, the other problem it has, even if I could get on with, you know, get beyond the, the weird stuff sort of thing, the platform is not that good. It doesn't feel good. No, it's not. It doesn't no. feel nice to sort of run and jump around. No. So, like I said... Ropes or ladders, people. <laughs> oh, and let me walk past mushrooms. Yeah, let me walk past mushrooms and let me get you know ropes. I mean, it's not the only game that we're going to play this episode, which has frustrated me beyond the capacity for rational thought. <laughs> but um, but uh, it's not. It's not, uh, it's not great, is it? It's not great. It's not. No. No. There you go. That's a uh, soldier of fortune. No. Anyway, let's see. We've got one left. This part. Let's see if things pick up a little. And that game is Street Sports Soccer, all the S's. Street Sports Soccer, this is £9.99, 75%. This is Epics, isn't it? It's an Epics game. Um, it is. But it's actually another game from Ogden Micro Designs. Remember them? <laughs> we saw them last time. Yes, they brought us the brown before. world of 4x4 four four racing. Brown, brown world. They uh, did. And they now bring us the latest in the Street Sports series with Street Sports Soccer. Not football, though, because that's American football. So we've got to call it soccer. Yep. Uh, this was coded by Stephen M. Thomas and his robot sidekick, K-Bite. Good K-Bite. Good dog. <laughs> arf, arf. <laughs> this is the second Street Sports title we've looked at uh, as we played Street Sports Baseball back in episode 62, right way back. There are actually two others in the series with Street Sports Basketball and Street Sports Football. That's the American version. They don't seem to have been looked at in Zaplo, so maybe something we can do, we can look at them at some point. Yeah, I'm wondering where they were. Yeah, no, they never got reviewed in Zap. So How strange. Yeah, so uh, they're about, so we'll, we'll check them out. Anyway, it's Street Sports Soccer anyway. This follows, if you remember back in episode 62, we talked about Street Sports Baseball. Uh, this follows the same kind of presentations we saw there. Um, this game sort of starts off, we've got the title screen and that Epic's 
American style music that we're used to hearing. That kind of noisy sort of thing that they do always do. And we get a a view of a group. Then we get a view of a group of kids on the street. They sort of sat on the steps and sort of looking at us and waiting for us to sort of choose some. Got some options to go uh, to pick our way through. So we can pick from. We can play on a field or a street to play on because this is all about you know just playing load of kids to putting stuff together and playing wherever they want. Uh, We can play a two player or against computer. Uh, and we can have a choice whether to load an old team in that we've picked before. Um, we can have random picks, so just let the computer pick random sides, or we can pick our teams ourselves. Um, and you can even rename the teams as well. So it's all quite nice at this point. You know, it's nice and nice and easy in. Then at the, then you get a toss of a coin, nice animated toss of a coin. You pick heads or tails. If you win, you get to pick first. If you don't, you get to pick second. And there you go. There are nine kids to pick from. Uh, moving over them tells you their strengths in a nice bit of text that's quite well written. Um, and it's good to see that there are both girls and boys to choose from. There are three girls, six boys. It's not you know perfectly split, but it's good to see. And it's, as these are three aside, you can just have a team all of girls. So that's quite nice. Once you pick your team of three, you can assign them the roles you need because you need one goalkeeper and two outfield players. I found this bit uh, needlessly kind of hard to figure out. Mm, faffy. It was faffy. It's like you can only swap one and two. It's like it's like the, that cups game. It's like you know the balls under one of them, and you like someone's moving them around, and you're not quite yeah. sure which one it is, and you're yeah. like, ah. So I find that a bit faffy, but you you can you you'll you'll do it, but it's just a bit annoying. And then the, once that's done, you, you loads up the game. And here, once your game's loaded, you can choose whether to play to a score or a time limit. So you know, first to five, first to ten, whatever, um, or a time limit, and it goes from two minutes to forty-five minutes. You play for a full forty-five minutes. Pretty epic. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't, don't do that. Uh, you can also pick your level of difficulty if you're playing against a computer from easy, medium, or hard. And once you've done that, the play starts. And well, yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a fairly simple soccer game, this. But there are, supposedly, you're looking through the controls, some quite technical controls to the game allow you to accurately pass, shoot, curve shots, whilst charging around the street or fields you've chosen to play on. I couldn't manage to make any of them really work. I found it a bit fiddly and just kind of no. ran around a bit and just there was no kind of tackling or anything, but it's just a bit... When not in control of the ball, you can change your player with the press of the fire button. That's always nice to do. Um, and, you know, this plays quite fast. It's 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 all right. It's a team, you know, the team's running up and down the street. The view is side on, as we've seen, international soccer style, match day two, uh, that sort of thing. So not the top-down view we've seen in the last couple. Side on again. And once the time limit is up or the number of goals reached, you can play again or head back to the streets and pick new teams and repeat and repeat and repeat. It's up to you. There's no, there's no leagues or anything. There's no cups or anything it's just a one-off game and you're done and then you're back and that's it i found the controls a bit fiddly um and i think the lack of players lack of players running around because it's only two, two teams of three meant that you spend a lot of time chasing the ball um and i thought your lack of options is a bit lacking you, not, you know there's no it's just that it's just a load of kids kicking a ball about there's not much yet unless you can do it's okay I did like that you have good old rush goalie. So um, for those who don't know what rush goalie is, where your goalie can come out. So, you know, if your goalie picks up, they can just leg it out and be a third player. So I did quite like that. You know, that's that's quite nice. The sprites are okay. They're a little blocky, a little small. They're, they're okay animated. There's some nice touches. I like when you when you score, you get high, they go up to each other and high-five each other. That's quite nice. And they do sort of a little dance and when, you know, the games end if you've won. I did find it odd that once I got given offside, I was like, that's weird. Why have I got given offside? Where's the, where's the linesman or ref to call it? Who's, who's doing this? Who's refereeing this? It feels an odd addition to a game based on kids having a kickabout on the street. You know, jumpers for goalposts, for God's sake. Should be no offsides and stuff. Um, this isn't terrible. It got, like I said, 75%. That feels about right. I imagine in two-player, you could have some fun because, like I said, it moves at a decent clip. But I just felt it felt just felt it was a bit empty. 
I thought the pitch was too big, if that makes sense. It just felt like there was a lot of empty space with not many players. So if they'd have shortened the pitch and made it a bit shorter and a bit more condensed, it'd have been a bit more snappy and back and forth and shooting and snapping and going, you know, and I think that would have made it better. There's just too much running around for my liking, not doing a lot. It's too long to get from one end to the other. So I think you could have made this faster with a short with a smaller pitch and i think that would have made it uh, you know much better it's okay the problem we've got is that in the next part you know we've got uh, we've got another football game and this kind of pales somewhat in the shadow of that football game so this is all right but it's not the best football game we're going to play this this um this uh, episode but it, you know it's it's a fun knockabout it's exactly what it's aiming to be but it just lacks a little bit and it's like i said the pitch is too big which for the lack of players means there's a lot of empty space and time which is not what you want in something like this. What did you think? It wasn't quite the game I remembered, actually, this. I remembered it completely differently. <laughs> I remembered it. I think I've just blended street sports basketball and made the players of that size suddenly be football. Oh, right, okay. That. I think that's what it was anyway. Um, it felt a bit of a subpar experience for an epic game, but that's kind of become the norm with them, and sadly it has. It had some of the trimmings, didn't it, like you say, of the old street sports series. None of the fun, though. Um, bit too easy. I think I've scored loads of goals. If you had a 45 minute game of this, expect scores of 160 to 155. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, I didn't go for the easiest modes, but I didn't find it wasn't hard. But I think that's links very much to the problem you've identified, which is this, it's just a bit of an empty game. There's not many players in it. Mm. So inevitably you run around lots of that empty space. And once you get the ball, there's not many people challenging you, is there? So it's pretty nope. easy to get to the goalie. Um, interestingly, I also noted that it had a rush goalie, although um, I don't know if you know this, but um, there are other names for rush goalie. Um, it's Alan? also known as, yes, it's also known as fly goalie or fly keeper or nearest dearest. Also, um, it's also there's variations around the country. There's magic rush, Spock, spider goalie, monkey rush, Russian veg and scramble or butterfly. Um, well, go. I'm not making those up. You can, you can, you can Google that. <laughs> I, I, I trust your uh, your research. Yeah, well, I just wondered where the term rush goalie came from, and then wished never looked it up. So anyway, rush goalie or you know goalie goalie moly, whatever it was called. Aside, I just didn't think there was much football to play in this. It felt like it was more empty space ball. I didn't really feel like I was being challenged. Maybe two play, you'd get a bit more out of that. I guess I think that's probably where the fun lies with this. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and you know, and it's that it's a different setting, isn't it? So it's you know, it is it is what it is. It's a it's a kickable in you know, a t-shirts for goalposts and all that kind of thing. Graphics were a bit bitty and small for me. Mm. Um, even even it felt like um, they'd taken a screen grab of the street sports uh, baseball screen and then put the screen grab in and kind of derezzed it slightly because it was like it was further away. Um, yeah. and so the detail was kind of lost. The animation felt a bit fidgety. The whole demeanor of it felt like there hadn't been a great deal of thought put into finishing it. It just felt like they got it working, got it moving, got it to a basic point where it kind of functioned. And they were like, eh, you know, we're not putting any more effort to in that. You know, our, our time on that has run out. So mm. um, it was all right. All right. But like you say, there's other football games that have come along that just seem to have... You talk about releasing your game at the wrong time. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, it was, like I say, for what it was, it was all right. But it's nowhere near as good as the other street sports games. So it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's the weaker one, I think, easily. Yeah. That's it, really. Yeah, just a bit empty, wasn't it? There we go. That's yeah. it. Not the... Uh... The best of <laughs> the best of parts we've played uh, through. I have no. to say, uh, no. let's hope things may pick up after we come back after we've done some other stuff. Um, so yeah, there we go. That's our first four games. We're going to go away, take a break. I think we need it. Um, we're going to come back with uh, film TV for November 1988, um, and then we've got four more games after that as well. So uh, please do stay with us.
Now, if I could just make it out past Dizzo, I don't think the cops will ever discover this contraband I'm carrying. I'm going to be rich! Wait, oh no, it's a police viper! Right, Cobra Mark Three pilot, let's be having you. What's in the cargo hold, then? Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing of interest, sir. Just some textiles and willow pattern plates from Lave. Really? I see some books and audiobooks back there. David Hearn's Case of the Notorious Roboticist, Starfarers and Thanians in Space, and a copy of Back in Time for a Donut. I was hungry. And you've got them in audiobook format and paperback. You know books are illegal in this system. No copy of Escape from the Commodore 64, though. Well, well, I, I could grab it next time and maybe give it to you for your trouble. Mm, on your way, then. Move along and watch out for Dargoids. Oh, that was a close one. For more details on cargo just like mine, hyperjump over to davidhernwriter.com. Now, just to dock at that space station without a docking computer. And we are back. We are back to see what was going on for film and TV in November 1988. Uh, there's plenty going on, really. Uh, first of November, having decided to step down from her presenting role on TV AM, Anne Diamond made her final regular appearance on the station. Oh, Anne Diamond. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting thing. On 28th of March 2008, in an article written for the Daily Mail, tab- or an article for the Daily Mail tabloid newspaper, Diamond contributed to an article concerning violence in video games, where she's quoted oh. as saying that the game Resident Evil 4 shouldn't be allowed to be sold, even to adults. Why that game? Because I guess it's violent, I guess. The other three are perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just pick, up, she, pick on the fourth one, why don't She would literally yeah. shit a brick if she saw Resident Evil 7. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah, she, nowadays <laughs> out, she's or, probably... Or going, Outbreak or Dead Space. <laughs> exactly. Quiet down, Diamond. Is Outbreak? No, Outlast. It's Outlast. Outlast. Oh, last. Yeah, it's, that's, it's a violent, scary game. She made an attempt back in, I think, nine, the early 80s at some point, I think around 1982, 83, to do the longest, world, world, a world record attempt for the longest on-screen kiss on air. Um, who do you think she did that with? I'll give you Still a guess. Black. No, although that would be horrific, wouldn't it? No, it was um, it was with Giles Brandreth. That's even worse. Um, they failed, though. They failed. He actually then went to complete that challenge, Giles Brandreth, with Cheryl Baker, the one from Books Fizz, and he actually did it with her. So he actually got the world record. So. For the longest, how long were they kissing for? Four minutes at the time. It might have been beaten by now, but four minutes. That doesn't seem that long. With Giles Brandreth, that's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. It's a long time to be holding that jumper. I know from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Or do I? No, I remember. I remember our diamond being on telly. But she was. Was she famous for her jumpers? Were people just famous for boring things in the eighties? Well, a lot of people were famous <laughs> for their jumpers, weren't they? She was famous for jumpers. Giles Brandreth was famous for jumpers. Russell Grant, the large uh, guy who did the fortune telling, did the astronomy. That was Russell Grant. But having having you know odd jumpers was enough to make you famous in the eighties, uh, wasn't it? Just now, Richard Stilgo probably as well. Yeah, I heard he's still going. <laughs> Yeah, he is. Can't, can't be stopped. Still, still, still making jumpers. Still go. Still go. Still going. He's making the world's largest jumper. <laughs> he's using it to uh, warm the world. He's, he's responsible for global warming with his big jumper. Yes, his big jumper. Uh, 2nd of November, uh, evacuation. An episode of ITV's The Bill features one of the series' early prominent events, an explosion at Sunhill Police Station. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. More importantly, though, I found this out. The iconic theme tune, Overkill. It's called Overkill, yeah. that theme tune. I'll put, I'll put a sound clip of it here. 
again. Composed by Charlie Morgan and Andy Pask, is notable for its use of septuple meter. Septuple meter, or or septuple time, is a meter with each bar divided into seven notes of equal duration, usually 7-4 or 7-8, or in a compound meter of 21-8 time. The stress pattern can be 2 plus 2 plus 3, or 3 plus 2 plus 2, or occasionally 2 plus 3 plus 2. Although okay. a survey of certain forms of mostly American popular music suggests that 2 plus 2 plus 3 is the most common among these three in these styles. Uh, okay. Did you know that? You know, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that at all. But it's made me realise now why I don't like it. <laughs> I've never really been a fan of septuple meter. There's that bit and it goes... Speedy bit with the cars driving. Yeah. It's that siren. and You know, the sirens at the beginning and then it's just... When the exciting bit comes on, it's... It's just a police car driving down the road. It's, you know, it's not that exciting. It's not that exciting, no. Um, but there you go. I mean, I've got nothing to say about the bill, but I just thought that was interesting about the uh, theme tune there, you know, and a bit yeah, of, a, I don't remember bit of a music theory. Explosion at Sunhill Police Station. Okay. What yeah. happened at that police station? Lot, loads happened at these places, yeah. 8th of November, BBC One aired episode 523 of Neighbours. That's it. Okay. <laughs> no, featuring, <Yay>. the wedding, <laughs> featuring the wedding of Scott Robinson and Charlene Mitchell, played by Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue. And it was watched by 20 million viewers. That's it's a third, third of the bonkers. British population. That is just crazy. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, that's the third of the third of the country just sat down watching that one thing. Things that's- happened because of that, Adrian. Things happened in the world. So, firstly, it spawned a number one single for Angry Anderson. And it did, suddenly yeah. went to number one. So we'll no doubt have to deal with that when we get to it. There's now an Australian indie rock band called Scott and Charlene's Wedding. <laughs> Of course there is. They're still going. There is. And how's this for weird? The wedding episode was first broadcast in Australia on July the 1st, 1987, where it was watched by 2 million viewers. Mm. Mm. Clearly didn't like neighbours like we liked neighbours. Exactly. We liked it better. Yeah, we we well liked it more. (laughs) And we got it way later as well, because obviously it was old old news for all the Aussies when uh, we're all raving about it. And you could go, oh my God, I can't believe it. They're like, we saw that bloody months ago, you bloody idiots. (laughs) That's exactly what they would have sounded like as exactly. well. Exactly. I like to think so. Uh, yeah. um, it was also parodied, by the way, in the wedding of Nessa and Dave in Gavin and Stacey, for those that like Gavin and Stacey. Okay. I'm not a fan, but okay. 21st of November, the Welch children's series Fireman Sam is broadcast in Singapore for the first time, being shown on MediaCore Channel 5. I only put this in because I know you have a you have a bit of an issue with Fireman is Sam, a demon. don't you? Who is? Norman Price is a demon. You know I've... <laughs> And you th- I'm not alone in my thoughts. There's a, there's a. I put all these links in the in the show notes. There's a blog article on Dublin City, an Irish website called "We Need to Talk About Norman," where someone puts in a long blog type essay about the fact that you know Norman, naughty Norman Price is a demon. Um, there's another article I found called "Fireman Sam." It's about time Norman is held accountable for all the fires he's caused. Where are his parents? That's from. Um, that popular uh, Reddit sort of site. So there's a lot of Reddit. There's a whole series of Reddits about <laughs> Norman Price. And then there's a video called Norman Price, The Little Shit, where it's just a video of Norman Price doing evil <laughs> deeds. And I put a couple of images in there of Norman. That's Norman, Naughty Norman Price, the older version and the new version. The older one, he's just always throwing fire at things. The new one, he's just there's two pictures there where he's just blatantly set fire to someone's house. <laughs> yeah. One of them, where for reasons I'm not even going to ex- try to explain, He's got a sheep in his bedroom um, where he's showing it a fire and he's got a dartboard above his bed. He's a dangerous, disturbed individual that must be stopped at all costs. And, you know, Jason Mansford, by the way, has put an article out in Daily Mirror where he puts the proposition forward that Norman Price is actually the illegitimate son of Fireman Sam himself. And there may be a case for that. 
it might be a case. It would be. I mean, it's good. It's good for the show, really, isn't it? You know, because it keeps the fires happening. Because otherwise, it'd be <laughs> not much for Fireman Sam to do. There's an entire special episode called "The Great Fire of Pontypandy." Guess who's responsible for that? <laughs> is it is it Norman Price? Well, it's, it's the only one there that starts fires like that. Is the twisted fire starter of that show? He also tries <laughs> to kill two children in a hole in the sand and tries to drown one in a cave. Um, Good lord! Yes, yes, he's evil. He's a dark, dark, <laughs> dark, dark. Person. It is. Someone put someone's. I have to find the link. For it. I couldn't find it. I was desperately trying to find it. Someone had calculated in terms of money, cash money. How much damage <laughs> Naughty Norman Price was responsible for in Ponty Pandy, and it was in the billions. I mean, they've got the world's, they've got one of the biggest fire departments. They have to have it. They've got helicopters, they've got all the stuff, you know, you don't normally get that. They have to have it there. Well, because of one person. Because of one dangerous individual, yeah, who's just let loose. He's allowed to do that. Something very wrong with him. Is something <laughs> wrong with that boy? There really is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> glad I included that. Um, tw- 23rd of November, the long-running BBC science fiction series Doctor Who celebrates its 25th anniversary and begins the three-part serial Silver Nemesis. I don't know what celebrate. that is. Uh, over to you, go on. Celebrate. They celebrated it by... It's just... It's, it ain't a very good... It's a three-part series. It's not very good. It's, this, it's the Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who, who is not one of my favourites, so let me tell you that. No. It's almost identical the story this this by to Remembrance of the Daleks, which they showed only a few episodes before this. So it's like watching the exact same story over again. It's a weird blend of Cybermen, neo Nazis, and witchcraft. Those aren't things you'd normally expect to find in Doctor Who, is it? No, you would not. And the no. writer, Kevin Clark, said the following three phrases which concern me. He said he'd seen very little of Doctor Who, that he met the production team without any idea of what his proposed story would be about, and that he made a story up on the spot in front of the producer. And that shows. <laughs> It's not how you'd want to celebrate your 25th anniversary. It's not very good at all. But that whole, that whole, I mean, some people really like Sylvester McCoy and there's a whole argument about why. And I think some of that is because of the books and stuff, the fiction that sort of surrounded it a bit because the, obviously the BBC were letting it die painfully in front of everybody really at this point. But very that isn't very so. good. It's not very good at all. No, so, no, no, I can't say I'm a, I mean, I don't know anything about it. So uh, what do don't, I know? Don't ever watch it. I won't. I'm not going to. It's okay. 24th of November. This is a weird story. Frank Roos, a left-wing Labour councillor for Liverpool City Council, accompanies Liverpool's Pagoda Chinese Youth Orchestra to London for an appearance on Blue Peter. He is given a Blue Peter badge, but later receives a BBC-headed letter requesting its return. The letter, later discovered to be a forgery, claims the programme had been approached by the Office of Labour leader Neil Kinnock, expressing concern that a councillor with hard-left views had been given a Blue Peter badge. Upon receiving the returned badge, <laughs> the BBC wrote back to Roos, stating that it had not sent the letter. The incident prompts Roos to start an inquiry an inquiry to find out who sent the hoax letter. <laughs> what a random series of events. I know, yeah. So, Andrew did send that. Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know if it was... I didn't look into it. So I, I couldn't find any news about it. So, I, I like, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it was solved. Maybe it wasn't. Tell you what, they were a powerful thing. The Blue, what, Blue Peter, Peter badge. badges? Yes, they were. Did you ever own one? No. Did you? I did. Yes, what did I did. you get a Blue Peter badge for? I sent in a letter when I was, and we're going back to when we lived in Cleethorpe, so about 1980 would have been somewhere around there. I sent in a letter describing a story about my dog because they ask for stories about your dog and your pet. And I sent it in and I got a Blue Peter badge. Now, it was only the white one with the blue ship on it. It wasn't a gold or silver one or anything like that. Okay. But that meant I could get into all sorts of places. As soon as they, you wore it and you went to a museum, they let you in free and all sorts at that time. 
because it was a crazy powerful thing. I haven't got it anymore. God knows where that went, but I used to own one. Wow. That's a true fact. And I could tell you, it was it, honestly, you wore that and you were like, oh, you got a blue Peter patch coming in. Buckingham Palace, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Your neighbor's house. <laughs> you let off crimes and everything. So naughty Norman Price gets away with all of his crimes. He, yeah, he's got a blue Peter flashes badge. Flashes his blue Peter badge like a paint no mind. It's like no, a Jedi get, mind trick. You get into the real Buckingham Palace. That one's just for the tourists. <laughs> yeah. That's the show one, yeah. That's not real. <laughs> wow, this place is huge. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just painted cardboard. What a weird story that is, though. You know, who would go to those lengths to, def- you know, to, to? I don't know. I love the fact that he sent it back. <laughs> like, oh, I yeah. can't have this then. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll just keep you'd, it. You'd get in, you'd ring the BBC and go, what? Yeah, you would well, be like, this is a bit letter. petty. Yeah, since when has my hard left view not allowed me to own a badge? Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. Very Very strange. There we go. That's your TV highlights. Let's get in some new shows. What came out? There was uh, 9th of November was The Ratties. Oh, God. The idea for The Ratties was conceived by Laura Milligan. It was the daughter of comedian Spike Milligan. It's a series of animated shorts about some rats who live in the walls. It's another one of those kind of five-minute things. Spike Milligan narrated the series with much of the narration ad-libbed. You can tell. I know. Did you watch the first one? (laughs) Yes, I I did. Yeah, that thing will drive you mad, for one thing. Um, but yeah, it's just oh, you can just it's just making stuff up as he goes along. Like he's, they've obviously yes. animated something. And it's like right, just add lib, just just narrate that. Let us not forget that the man did the promotional video at one time for Grimsby Town. <laughs> he did, didn't he? Yes. Yes, and his famous poem, Grimsby, Grimsby, Queen of the Sea. Well, at least the estuary. Look what a seagull's just done on me. Must be a critic of poetry. Very good. Yeah, like he did that in the back of a car, then did a speech in front of a biffer bin. <laughs> Wasn't the town's greatest moment, <laughs> as to be said. Strangely, it actually was. <laughs> yeah, there we go. The rat is not horrible no, no, tune. That tune. Oh, yeah, it was awful, wasn't it? Terrible. You can. We'll link you to the uh, episode. Go watch it. Yes, it's in the show. Do you know, notes. by go, the go way, it's it. a final. As a final little hurrah, Spike Milligan on his gravestone. It said, "I told you I was ill." <laughs> That's what it says on it. Yeah, it's very Spike Milligan. I used to like uh, Q. Q, yeah. They were funny. Yeah. They were quite amusing. Uh, 9th of November, Palace Hill. So this is weird. This was a spoof of the uh, of Grange Hill with characters based on members of the British royal family. This How was intru- this was introduced in the second series of uh, Your Mother Wouldn't Like It, which was Bonnie Langford and that lot. And it returned in series three under the title Return to Palace Hill. It proved so popular, it became a spin-off show. Also broadcast on ITV, running for three series and targeted politicians such as Margaret Thatcher for satire. It had a surreal, almost post-apocalyptic feel to it. The characters, such as school bully Nick Knuckle and his girlfriend Binky Spoon spent their time roaming the seemingly abandoned corridors of the school often stopping to address the camera directly the character based on Prince Charles had a doomed love affair with a girl from another planet who eventually went back to her home planet there was also a character who was a schoolboy school from the World War II era I don't remember anything about it no I don't either <laughs> it's like <laughs> what the hell I watched that episode I was like what is this it's weird lots of I, remember, I don't remember anything about it there was lots of shouting in it though lots of shouting acting yes in corridors and standing in front of blackboards and things yeah and there was a was sort of weird version of the Grange Hill theme for its title tune that sort of yeah, echoes yeah, of the Grange was, Hill yeah. it's weird very really bizarre weird. program but no no memory yeah. of that nope none hope it brings back some memories for you if you're listening to this though 10th of yes. November Thompson um, <laughs> this was a British television variety series with actress Emma Thompson uh, also featured Imelda Staunton Kenneth Branagh and Stephen Moore oh god you can imagine what this is going to be like the show yep. featured musical numbers as well as comedy skits comedy skits and appearances mm-hmm. by guest stars its theme music was Dave Brubeck's Unsquare Dance yeah that 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 thing you'd know it since you heard it <laughs> 
I can't. Yeah. I, can't um, I just don't think what it went like now, but because your, your version is throwing me off. <laughs> it's that bass line. Do-do-do, do What the hell? Just go and listen to it because I'm not sure what that is. Um, so I found a clip of it on YouTube. We'll post that. Really odd sketch it was with Robbie Coltrane. They're all kind of mates at this time, weren't they? Because if I think of who was in, because Emma Thompson's obviously in, a, they're all a bit of young ones, aren't they? They're in a couple of bits of that. And so I didn't realize yeah. Emma Thompson was quite the comedy actress. And even though she isn't very funny in that particular sketch, I found another sketch from a, possibly that show or a different show that she was in where she did like a pastiche of play school, which is actually quite funny. Oh, okay. Uh, that as well. um, I don't remember that. I don't remember much of the. I don't remember Emma Thompson being on TV apart from in Young Ones. <laughs> that was it. Emma Thompson. No, the first thing I remember Emma Thompson in was um, was was she in that sort of that film with where they were all in Tony Slattery and everything? Uh, Peter's friends. Was she in that? Ah, uh, yes, yes. She's bound to be. I'm bound to be. I think uh, the first thing I remember my, her in un- really. Unfortunately, my last memory of Emma Thompson is a full frontal nudity scene she did in a recent film. That upset me for days. <laughs> He's still crying over it. I can see he's it's tears just, now. Just, it, it, it wasn't right. No. It wasn't right. It's, it's not right when, you know. But, you know, she can do what she wants. Yeah, yeah. She's a very glamorous lady, but it's just, you know, not my cup of tea. Uh, 13th of November, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, uh, you, you a fan of these? What, the books or the shows? The books, primarily, I suppose. Um, I don't know. I've, I've reread them all recently. They're, they're, they're an, odd, an odd read. Really odd read. Tonally weird, I think. Yeah, they're really all over the place. But um, they're, they're, I mean, they are what they are, aren't they? Um, early fantasy, yeah. I suppose, but with very, very um, heavy sort of religious sort of overtones. Yeah, and stuff I was running, running, ask you about that. Running was... through them. There really is, yeah. So you get from that what you want to get from that. But um, I don't really remember much of this. I mean, for me, the cartoon was the be-all and end-all of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So... I was not interested in any further adaptation. Like, don't, you know, Fair don't enough. you can't you're not gonna you're not gonna beat that cartoon. I grew up with that cartoon. And I loved that cartoon. Yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm, I thought I thought the uh, Ice Queen. Um, or oh, is it Ice Queen? Um, yeah. Yeah. She was particularly, you know, quite chilling in that. <laughs> that was un- unintended. Um, <laughs> is that a character from this one? Because I really don't remember much yes. of it. She's the character of Lucy. Um, she was played by, she was a really, I mean, I don't, no disrespect to the actress at all. Sure, it was just a performance. And a very good performance because she pulled off the annoying little twat really well. <laughs> um, because that's what she is in that. A pig-faced annoying twat. Sorry, not me to me now. I'm not picking, picking out those features. That's obviously what you've been made to look like, but or an apple. But either way, that, that character came across really annoyingly and it actually made me not want to watch the show. Yeah, there was lots of lots and lots of talk at the time of the elaborate animatronic Aslan in it. I seem to remember some something of, the other of stuff. that because um, it was even on Blue Peter, ironically enough, where yes. um, strangely attacked a dog and, and killed one of the presenters because um, they didn't realise that Aslan was actually a wild lion. <laughs> wow! Yes, it was a real lion. It was a real lion. They just they just put some. They pretended it was animatronic because look how realistic it is. So Simon Groom lost his arm. Look, see, I can put my arm <laughs> right down his throat. He's not ah! going to do anything to it. <laughs> Oh no, he's eating Shep. <laughs> wow, those teeth are are they meant to be that sharp? <laughs> oh, oh look at that. He's taking he's taking it right off at the shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> you can get the back off him. It's really sore. Absolutely. Really it's okay. Sore. I'll, I'll just put another one I made earlier on. <laughs> yeah, it's one I made earlier, yeah. So it's just got a fairy liquid bottle for an arm. <laughs> with, with like a plastic glove on the end. Donut for his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Double-sided sticky tape for speed. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. It just look, you know, it looks, it glows at Christmas. Fifteenth exactly. um, <laughs> of November is the Secret Life of Machines. <laughs> that was a good uh, show. That was. I don't remember which of this. What was it? It was that inventor thing, wasn't it? I remember. I remember when I saw when I saw the what you'd written about the it was hosted by and the robot here. I remember it being about different. I remember certain episodes of it being about different robots and things like that. And I remember finding mm. that sort of stuff intriguing at the time. Yeah, because it later led on to the not it didn't lead directly to it, but it led on to the the Battle Robots show that was Craig Charles presented that kind of thing. I've always been a bit fascinated by those kind of sort of homemade robots and those kind All of right, ideas. Yeah, cool. so. And and what was that one that what's his face the other guy out of um, Scrap Heap Challenge? Scrap Heap Challenge, yeah, those that that show. You know, never have I seen so many. You know, off the chart crazy people from little villages you've never heard of make catapults <laughs> for things it's like my god you know we can still do it that's why I, I always think that i think do you know what if we were invaded we've still got that village spirit the villagers would get, grab the touch of the pitch wash and we'd fire pumpkins at those people like no one else yeah yeah you, you know, you know you're we can make a spear fire out of a bloody used wheelbarrow and find a car engine and i've got i'll, I'll make a spear fire that'll fire it through a ship yeah we can, you know, we can hurl Henry Hoover's at them till the cows come home. Sixteenth <laughs> of November, Christabel. Uh, this was a four-part British drama series. It is based on the memoirs of Christabel Bielenberg, an English woman married to a German lawyer during World War Two. Was written by Dennis oh. Potter. Ooh, saucy. Mm, was directed by Adrian Shergold. Uh, and this was Elizabeth Hurley in one of her earliest leading roles. Yeah, you know what that means, don't you? Probably, um, maybe. D- D- Dennis Potter and Elizabeth Hurley. Mm. I don't know. It did lead me to a clip, because I was looking for a clip of this on YouTube to see if I could find anything, but I couldn't find anything. It did lead me to a clip, though, of a very awkward moment on the BAFTAs where she comes on and, and Billy Connolly is just, she comes on with that bra, basically, <laughs> yeah. and Billy yeah. Connolly just can't can't quite handle it because she bounces no. down the stage of it. It's like, okay. Yeah. Is it fa- she's famous for that dress they used to call it, isn't there? Where she had basically held oh, the by black, safety pins. That black one while she was with yeah. uh, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Grant. Huge, yeah. huge Grant. Huge Grants, yeah. Yeah. 26th of November, yeah. The Snow Spider. I I think mm. I should know something about this, but I don't recognise it all. This is from the Magician Trilogy. It's a series of three children's fantasy novels by uh, Jenny Nimmo. First published mm. by... Sometimes called The Snow Spider Trilogy... Or the, uh, and the Snow Spider trilogy, it's title of his omnibus editions. The stories are inspired by Welsh mythology with elements borrowed borrowed from the Mabinogion. I'm butchering the pronunciation. I tried to have a look yeah. at it. Uh, set in contemporary <laughs> Wales, they feature Gwyn Griffiths, a boy descended from Gwydion, who discovers and develops some of the magical powers in his lineage. And they mm. were, so these were adapted for television. Um, and yeah, they, they came. Just all three of them came out. I don't remember any of these. No, none of them. Where the hell were we? <laughs> don't know. This seems right up our alley. <laughs> yeah, completely missed that. Yeah. So there was the uh, this one, this, and then there was the Snow Spider in four episodes, the em- Emlyn's Moon in five episodes, which might, I wow. might have thought was something about Emlyn Hughes's ass, but um, and the Chestnut Soldier in four so in in four episodes. So weird. Huh? Chestnut Soldier sounds like a. A painful euphemism I don't want to think about. <laughs> Emlyn's Moon. Chest- they've got the chestnut soldier of Emlyn's Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, Flynn. <laughs> uh, and you've let out some snow spiders. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Stick that up his chestnut soldier, so he likes that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this is why I'm not allowed back in uh, <laughs> our local spa book, shop. Yeah, book club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mate, the book club, yeah. What are we reading <laughs> this week? Oh, Emeline's Moon again. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Finally, 27th of November is the Bidebeck connection. Oh, these Bidebeck things. And I was off Bidebeck. I heard of them. I never watched any of them, but no, I knew same. of them. Couldn't be doing with them. Anyway, there we go. That's that one. What have we got in films? Um, 11th of November, you could have gone and seen Colours. You could. Um, this is, uh, uh, what's his name? Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, mm. Sean Penn, directed by Dennis Hopper. It is. It is. We're gonna, I'll, I'll, we'll post a trailer for this. The, the trailer for this couldn't be more 80s if it tried. It's, <laughs> it really couldn't. It, it, it's amazingly how <laughs> 80s this is. It's so much stabby synth. There's even a clip I found with a house party with dancing and someone's got a hairnet on. It's like, yep. okay, it's fair enough. But yeah, so this is a sort of police against the gangs. This is kind of some kind of like the crypt. Is, is it some kind of, you know, about the crypts and the bloods? Because it's about, I believe. Essentially that, yeah. Because it's about gang, gangs. You get basically killed on the streets of LA for your for the colours you're wearing. The gangs are against yeah. each other. And then the police like, well, we've got our own colours. We're the blue of the police. And, and then it off, off it goes from there. Yeah. And it's all a bit violent, what have you. But um, it's a very, it's an 80s take on gang culture i guess but i i didn't watch it but so i don't know if it's any good did you have you ever seen it or no i've always seen the video case for it loads because it never got rented out of blockbuster so (laughs) i imagine it never did no not after that trailer that trailer robert duval remember robert duval on the cover so i remember thinking oh and he sort of reprises that role later in falling down a little bit he sort of plays a similar character yeah yeah he does he's like he's been uh yeah he's become a detective hasn't he by falling down uh also 11th of november if you didn't fancy uh gang warfare in la you could have gone seen taffin you could have i bet this is i bet this is another one that you remember the video cover of don't you because i I, even i remember the video cover of this yeah Yeah. Uh, this is a 1988 thriller directed by fred star pierce brosnan who stars in the title role of Mark Taffin. uh, Here's an excerpt from the plot, okay? Taffin learns a local councillor, Gibson, is conspiring with a landowner named Henderson to hide the ownership of the landowner's meadow so that a local sports field will be sold instead of the meadow. And the meadow will be worth much more as building land once a planned chemical plant is built beside it on the sports field. Taffin confronts Gibson, but is unable to change anything until he intimidates Henderson by blowing up his outhouse. Extreme. <laughs> Over the top. <laughs> that yeah, escal- that escalated quickly. <laughs> Could he mm-hmm. just punched him? <laughs> Maybe roughed him up a bit? Don't blow up a man's outhouse. <laughs> Never blow blow up another man's outhouse. Otherwise no. he'll uh, kick you right in your chestnut soldier. Do that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, this was made at a time when uh, Pierce right, Brosnan was ridiculously good looking, though. I mean, it's just ridiculous how good looking he is. Yeah. Is, is he Irish? I've no idea. It might be. Because his Irish accent yeah. in that trailer is all over the place. Yeah, it was certainly not. Last time I saw him, he was doing an Icelandic accent, and he wasn't doing that very well. So no, yeah, maybe accents aren't his strong point. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he must be British English. Sorry, I don't know. Look it up. You, you look okay. it up while I, while I um. I'll, I'll find out. I'll find out where he's from. All right, right. Yeah, but anyway, I do remember. I, I remember. Yeah, he's Irish. He's Irish. Irish. God yeah. sake, the Irish accent in that film is. It's. I don't. Th- I don't believe that's his real accent. In trying to put on an Irish accent, he does a worse <laughs> Irish accent than his actually his own accent, which is yeah. Irish. It's, it's all ironic. over the place. <laughs> he's ironically <Yeah>. Irish. <laughs> he's something. Uh, also, eleventh of November. If you didn't fancy either of those two, you're gonna. You could have gone and seen the Light Horse Men. This uh, I watched the trailer, but you know, in 1917, when the British forces are bogged down in front of the Turkish and German lines in Palestine, they rely on the Australian Light Horse Regiment to break the deadlock. Okay, sounds a bit Gallipoli-like to me. Gallipoli. Kind of thing. So I'm thinking teary-eyed horse deaths. <laughs> 
Is that a euphemism? Like a teary-eyed Tom <laughs> Hank? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't want to think about it, but yeah, I'm not sure that, so what that is. But it sounds yeah. like Gallipoli with horses, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, yes. We're probably making light of a, an awful military situation, but... Well, we're not. We're, t- so, we're thinking about the film. We're talking about the film. We're yeah. talking about the film, not the actual event. So, you know, it's. I did read something about it. It's, it's, I did watch the beginning, because there's a link there to the entire film. It's all The entire film's on YouTube. Oh, well, no, we, we won't post that, because it's probably not really, not legal. No, but, no whatever. <laughs> uh, it's on YouTube, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, yeah, fair game. Yeah. Uh, 18th of November, you could have gone and seen Stand and Deliver, uh, the uh, biopic of um, Adam and the Ants. Not, <laughs> should be the name like that. <laughs> Not really. This is the story of Jamie Jam Jamie Ascalante, a high school teacher who successfully inspired his dropout prone students to learn calculus. Aye. It's another one of them. Sedward James Olmos teaches calculus to a rowdy Lou Diamond Phillips. That's what I got from the trailer. Mm, sure, I want to watch that. Mm. No, it's one of those. It's there's loads of these. One there's, there was um Obviously, the classic one, the Gangster's Paradise song came from yeah, Dangerous, Dangerous yeah. Minds. Dangerous Minds. There's quite a lot of it around that. There was time. a lot of these sort of, you know, teacher in a gang-laden school makes them yeah. do good stuff. This was just another in the, another in the line of that. But obviously, this was based on a true story, so a little bit more to it, I guess. 18th November, if you didn't fancy that, you could have gone seeing Tucker, the man and his dream. Uh, this is the story of Preston Tucker, the maverick car designer, and his ill-fated challenge to the auto industry with his revolutionary car concept. Uh, this well, is uh, Simpsons vibe off that. <laughs> it's not though. I mean, he was, nearly did it, but he got taken down by the big firms. He was too good. Yeah. Um, this car concept that was so revolutionary. It just looked better, and was, I haven't watched. The, I haven't watched it in ages. So I think I just remember that it was a much better car than what was being produced by the big, uh, the big manufacturers at the time. It's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. That okay? Oh, Jeff Bridges, isn't it? Jeff Bridges, uh, loads of low, yeah, loads of people in it. Martin Landau, uh, it's in trailer. So it, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure it's very good uh, as those kind of films go. It's got, yeah, yeah, could be. Francis Ford Coppola is usually solid as a director. Yeah, solid. Solid. Uh, 20th of November, you could have gone seeing Cheap Shots. I'm going to say, I'm going to read you this and see what genre you'd put this in. The owner of a sleazy hotel, along with his friend, decides to videotape a room that is rented by a sexually active couple. Inadvertently Mm. recording their murders, the men are soon faced with a dilemma as the killers come looking for the tape. Mm, I wouldn't say it was, you know, it sounds more like a thriller. Yeah. Stan's a comedy. I can't see that being a comedy. It's It's got, you know, Pineapple Express probably works as a comedy in that vein but not that no doesn't it, I, I can't imagine this is very good never heard of it though but anyway i can't split in with that not, split. not at all uh 25th of november you should have gone seen scrooged yes you know another classic christmas christmas title comes along yes um one i watch every year without fail Yes, um, yeah, it's, I think it's pretty much on. It's on a channel every year, isn't it? Somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I just own it, so I just put it on and watch it. it gets me in the Christmas mood. Um, <laughs> famously, his uh, that whole dialogue at the end was all ad libbed, wasn't it? It was all improv. Yes, yes, um, it was. His big was speech. I, I love it. I mean, we talked about the song. I think was it last week? A little, a yeah, little love was. in your heart. Uh, and yeah. it, it's just, it's just a great retelling of uh, you know Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Um, there's some really funny moments in it, Bob. What's his name? Him, him out of um, yeah. Oh God, say Police Academy. <laughs> Police films. Academy too. Yeah. yeah, him. He's in it. He's very good. Um, you know, it's just a great film. If you haven't seen, it, I'm sure you all have because it's just like you said, it's on every Christmas. Um, 
but it's a it's a it's a standout Christmas film, and it's probably my is it my favourite Bill Murray film? I don't know, maybe one of them. Mm, it's the tall order that I know. I mean, you got obviously Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day, I give yeah. you as well, but it's it must be up there. Although Groundhog there is, Day for me. Although there is stripes. No, not stripes. Not, <laughs> not as good. Groundhog Day is good. Um, so and obviously. You know, Ghostbusters as well. He's better in Groundhog Day. I think it's because it's just more. I think it's a more metered performance. His Scrooge performance is good. It is a little bit, and it's not. It's not an original story, is it? In particular, either it's obviously it's just no, Scrooge. No, no. But but that said, it is quite good. And I didn't realize until I did a little bit of reading into this how apparently Bill Murray is such a nightmare to work with. I, I can um, imagine. On, yeah, I've heard uh, in a proper like proper nightmare. Like most most people who've worked with him really hate the experience. I mean, hate it. Oh. And he had a basically had an out and out, not just a dislike, but a, a pretty much a fundamental hatred of Chevy Chase. Oh, really? Um, so that's why they didn't really film many scenes together in Caddyshack. The one scene that they filmed together, that was kind of they had because they had to. Um, but um, it, that's it. That's why there's only. That's why they're never really in the same scene at all. Yeah, they're they not. Can't stand the sight of each other. It's just that one bit in his uh, in his house, isn't it? Yeah. And that was, you know, you'll notice even that they're not really near each other. They don't look at each other in the eye. They don't really have a proper scene together. They're just talking in the same space because they can't stand each other. Wow. Okay. I always like the fact that in Scrooge as well, um, uh, the guy who comes back, Marley, who is played by uh, uh, Blake Carrington, isn't it? It is Blake Carrington, yeah. I can't remember yeah, his name, though. That's good my head. John, no, Forsyth, John Forsyth, is it? No, I don't know. Something like that. I mean, it could, yeah, very I well. mean. could very well be. Yeah. But anyway, yes, go watch Scrooge if you haven't. You know, I know it's not Christmas right now, but you know, it, it'll make you feel good. It's a good soundtrack. Good, film. good soundtrack to Grand Dog's Day with the la 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 la. That's really good. To Scrooge, music, you mean? That. Yeah, sorry, Scrooge. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, Danny Elfman in it. It is, because you can tell, because it sounds a lot <laughs> like la, other la, 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 la. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Danny Elfman wheeled out the la la's again. Yeah, so la 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 la. It's good. It is good though. It is, it good, is good. Yeah, especially there's certain scenes that are excellent in that. Twenty uh, fifth of November. Uh, also, if you didn't fancy that, you could have gone seen La Mascara, La Mascara, La Mascara. Don't mm. know how you pronounce that. Uh, this is a debauched nobleman offers himself to a beautiful woman, but she, but she he's repelled by his advances. So he dons a mask and tries again. And this time he's more successful, but the mask cannot conceal the evil in his soul. Mm, that sounds like a classic. French or Spanish film. Uh, I believe yeah. it probably is. Sounds, yeah, sounds, sounds about right. Quite, sounds quite good. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Uh, finally, uh, also 25th of November, you could have seen The Hidden. Yes, yes, and probably <laughs> should have. Did you watch the wrong film? <laughs> I did. What did you I've, watch? I've watched both now. I watched a film called The Hidden, but it wasn't the, that version. Ah, okay. And, I, I, and I, was, I didn't watch it all because I was sat watching it thinking, there's no Cal McGoughlin in this. And it's not about what I remember it being about. <laughs> what was, I was, I'm curious, I, what was the one you watched? It was like a crappy. It was it was from the eighties, but it's like a crappy um, sort of made for TV type movie. Ooh, um, which was about some hidden treasure. Um, oh right, make it. So it was really weird. And um, what it wasn't was this one. Um, yeah. When I finally watched the actual one, I was like, ah, yeah. Now I remember. Remember it. Because I remember it having a really good chase in it. Um, and right at the beginning, of course, there's that really good chase. I was like, sort of waiting for that, and watching this crappy version, going, when is that going to happen? Because I'm yeah. sure there's a guy. I remember the guy in a really fast sports car driving away from the police. At, and I was thinking, where's that bit? <laughs> it's right there at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, there it after is. I was like, oh, there it after is. He guns everyone down in the bank. Um, yeah. so if, you if you haven't Good watched film. this, it's essentially it's, a, it's, an, it's an alien body swapping from person to person, causing them to just go crazy, kill loads of people. Mm. Um, the alien's quite gross, like a big slug thing that crawls out yeah, of their mouth and into, and into other people's mouths when they sort of can. And then they go a bit crazy. It even gets to, uh, what's the face out of Babylon? Babylon 5, didn't it? 
she plays a stripper in it. Is it oh, her? Oh, yes, it is her. Yeah. Yeah. Can't she's, remember the actress now, but yeah. She's the woman in it, yeah. Um, yeah. uh, in amongst that Carl McLaughlin who's also an alien comes down and is trying to chase it and it's just a very very tight it's, it, I don't know it's similar in style a little bit something like a Terminator-ish type that sort of it's got a vibe of it yeah, yeah it's, it's that kind straight of straight in, low, straight low, in very action oriented yeah low budget sort of quite violent very violent actually um, 80s very. 80s thriller it's really good I, I watched it yeah. as well this week um, mm. and thor- thoroughly enjoyed it um, yeah it's, it's good and so if you want a recommendation if you're not going to watch scrooge then i would recommend maybe re-watching yeah. the hidden it's a lot better than i remembered it being as well actually i was i was quite surprised at the level of violence in it which really surprised me yeah and um how taut the direction was the directions considering it's not a name i'd particularly known really tight direction you know yeah. really good act, really good action sequences within them the way that the car the cops are chasing the the guy around in the Ferrari at the beginning, and now it's you know it's just nicely shot, like some low it's, angle it's tires not, screeching and wheels going around corners and yeah, it's not just nicely really shot funny. as well. It's um sound really nice sound editing with the way the heavy metal yes. music keeps cutting in only when he's in yes. the car, and then you get the long shots and he's out and it stops. I mean, there is gratuitous people walking across the road with a shot, large pane of glass. Oh, that in bit it as made, well, me, which made laugh me laugh out loud. Loads. Yeah, because yeah. instead, <laughs> instead of just going through the glass, he takes them all out. <laughs> right. And the guy you know being pushed in a wheelchair gets blatantly just smashed out of his <laughs> yeah. wheelchair as well. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. <laughs> this is that you stall this, out. This is that kind of film. That glass bit yeah. made me laugh out loud. Yeah, really yeah, did. Because really you think oh, he's going to go through the glass. No, he just takes the people out. <laughs> yeah, he just smashes into him. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all right, okay, brilliant. Yeah, definitely, definitely watch it. It's, it's it's a good one to go back to after all this time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, good film. And there you go. That's it. So we had um, and Diamond. We had bit Doctor Who. We had Naughty Norman Price. Um, loads of new shows that we should have watched but never heard of um, including um, we could have gone up Emily's Moon for a bit of chest- with a chestnut soldier um, <laughs> <laughs> with Colours Cheap Shots Tucker Scrooge and The Hidden for the films that's it that's November um, it's Christmas is coming Christmas is coming next time Christmas will be here uh, don't know what be. that means though we'll see la, what happens la, 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 <laughs> yeah, Christmas is a coming now <laughs> thank you. thanks Danny <laughs> thanks Danny for that um, we're going to take a quick break you can listen to whatever comes next we'll be back after that and then we've got four more games still to get through so uh, see you in a bit Dynam on course. I'm almost there, ready to deliver David Hearn's books, including Back in Time for a Donut and The Case of the Notorious Roboticist, to a bookstore near you. Let's just bypass Tag and... Oi! Where's that copy of Escape from the Commodore 64 you promised me? Dave's latest book. Ah, oh, not you again. I thought I lost you outside Gamma 5. Hey, did you just fire at my ship? Says I've got some conflict damage. I'll give you conflict. Looks like your Nova Drive is shot. Literally. Tragic, that. Computer says I'm on a collision course with Targ. Options, you can crash into Targ, and it just so happens I'm also the mayor, so straight to prison for you, or you can give over that last copy of Dave's latest book. Yeah, in exchange for what? Hmm, let me see. Aha! I've got a spare Nova Drive back here. How about that? Oh, okay, I can't do mercenary again. The deal. Dave's latest book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is all yours. There. Oh, I love the cover. There's Paradroid, Impossible Mission, and Law of the West. Get your own copy. You're not having mine at davidhernwriter.com. Can I ask a quick question, though? How would you keep me in a prison that only has lines for walls?
And we're back. So let's waste no time. Let's get straight into it. We've got four more games still to get through. Um, and the first one, um, well, I've got this one. This is Emlyn Hughes's International Soccer. It's football either side of the half. Could say that this uh, this podcast is a game of two halves. Um, I won't say <laughs> that, go. though. I won't say that. This is our second soccer game of the episode. And... Whilst the last game was all jumpers for goalposts um, and the like, this is uh, this is like Brazil to the previous games, Grimsby Town, in terms yeah, in terms of what is on offer and the way this plays. Uh, yeah, this is Emlyn Hughes's International Soccer. This was released, released by Audiogenic. It was produced by Peter Calver. Coding and sound effects by Graham Bligh. The strategy section is by Michael McLean. Graphics by Andrew Calver with help from Denton Design and Herman Serrano. <laughs> Music by Barry Leach and tested by Jeremy Wellard, who I thought was the dog in EastEnders. But, um, <laughs> he still is. Big team for a footy game and an unusual release for audiogenic themes. Seems like an yeah, odd. odd. I'd say it kind of came out of nowhere, this. And initial impressions of this are kind of odd. When this loads up, it's odd. There's a jointy bit mm. of uh, Barry Leach music, a bit of jointy music, and there's a grey screen with some tabs across the top. And it, it felt a bit like sort of the Amiga workbench. Um, yes, very much like, so. Like uh, in the way it looks. So at the top, we've got options. We've got four tabs, essentially. We've got options, colors, game, and displays. Uh, we control an arrow, and clicking on one of those opens up a comprehensive set of options under each tab. So under the options tab, you can fine-tune the game. So setting the duration. You can have single player or co-op against the computer. You can have extra time. Uh, you can whether to you can decide whether to watch computer versus computer games. You've got home and away options, so whether to to set whether you actually play from home or away. You can have to have a practice game. You can set the skill level, whether each team is equal, whether you can back heel. You can set the kick directions from one, three, or five. Whether the goalie is auto-controlled, you can select whether you, whether you select the players or it's auto-selected. Uh, change the number of points for a win and the number of substitutes allowed quite a lot that's just one of the drop downs in the colors menu you can change the color of the pitch the lines and the ball which is weird you can have like a bright pink pitch with a you know red lines and a, and a gray ball it's all very odd but you know you can change that if you want to in the game drop down this is where you can pick which team you control you can amend your team arrange a friendly you can start a cup a league a championship or a season you can change the colors and names of all the clubs and edit the names and the abilities and load and save everything once you've got it set up how you want it. Comprehensive. Comprehensive. The way you basically um, go to one of the teams and in the team list and they'll say it's they'll all be con- they'll all be said they're controlled by the computer. So you click in there and then you type your name in. Anything that's not doesn't say computer is player controlled. That's how you pick your own team. So just just a heads up if you don't know how to do that. Finally, in the displays tab, you can look at the teams, the players, the fixtures. You can look at results. You can look at the table. Uh, you can display these week by week or, or by team, which week. And you can even print these out if you've got access, you know, hooked up to a printer. And why you'd ever want to do that, but you why can. Is this is a game that offers a lot of options to the player. Um, and, you know, this is it's a football game. And, and so there is a lot going on here. So once you've sorted out what you want to do, you can get playing. You can just play a friendly as well, which is essentially just a quick game option. Just practice, whatever. You you know, how you want to approach this. This really feels like a modern, um, you know, more modern football game. It's kind of like match day two in a sense. I think that had a similar sort of level of stuff to going on. But this feels very modern in the stuff you can happen. So your pro evos, your FIFAs, where you can have your single games, your, your competitions, your championships, your leagues, your seasons. This feels like that. But anyway, once you've chosen that, you go play a game, you get your list of players and your team and your colours, because you can you can change the colours for each team and, and the options as well. 
do all those kind of things. And then you get to the game itself. So first impressions might make you think of international soccer. And there is similarity in the way this looks. I'm not going to deny it. Does You look at it and you go, oh, the players come running on out the pit, out the, out the tunnel, just like they're doing in international soccer. Big, slightly blocky footballers. They come jogging onto the pitch from the, you know, we've got a side on view here. So we're back to the match day two international soccer style of looking at it. But you'll notice that as they come on, um, each team is made up of a full 11 players. So we've got 22 players on the pitch here. I don't, is that the, did, I don't, I think that might be the first time we've seen that. I don't, it is, yeah. The full team. I think even match day you only had about eight, did it? Match day two. Don't think you had the full, full 11. I, I think, can't I think remember. Right. I think it's the first, I, I thought it was the first time. I think this is the first one. So all 11 players come on and, um, you know, they come on and they run into positions. They run into a recognizable formation, depending on what you set and who you picked and where they are. And so they, they set, they set up and so off the game goes. So like in soccer, I mean, the game takes up pretty much all the game screen because the score, I think the score and the timer were displayed in the lower border, weren't they? They're in the, they seem to be in the lower border. So you've got the entire screen taken yep. up with the football. So this is good. You've got plenty of space here. And it looks like international soccer. You know international soccer, like probably about seven, eights or whatever. So three quarters of it are football pitch. And then there's a, there's a, uh, you know, there's a crowd at the top, um, and that's what this looks like. So, you know, it's not breaking any rules there. It's not breaking any browns there, but it's football. It's the standard way we come to sort of understand what football games look like. So once you've kicked off, that's the point where all thoughts of international soccer disappear, okay, because this is far and away, you know, this is a step above any football game we've seen so far. It really, really is. So the game, it scrolls very smoothly from left to right, and it's fast. That's the good thing about this. Whereas match day two offered all these options, we said at the time it was like playing through treacle. So and it was very slow, although, you know, it felt deliberate, but it felt too slow. So, yeah, it, it's, not as as it's fast. You control your player is inertia-based, um, and you can kind of, they kind of take a bit of time to slow down and turn around. Um, so this lends like an added sense of weight and movement to the player you're controlling. Um, and the controls you have actually at your disposal are plentiful. So in the options, if you've chosen one kick direction, you just kick it in the direction you're running. So kind of like international soccer, if you're running to the left, you press fire, it'll kick to the left. You can't do anything else with it. Just that's what happens. If you pick the three kick option, that allows you to kick it in a direction uh, sort of straight ahead of you or 45 degrees in either direction, depending on whether you pull it left, pull it in, in that direction as you're about to let go. And you can aim it that way. So you've got a bit more control over it. Five direction though allows a whole lot more precision, lets you pass in loads of different directions. Um, you can, you know, hit it behind you, slightly behind you, in front of you, all over, you know, you can get loads of um, control on that on that mode and once you get used to this it offers a really you know a high degree of control over how you pass or shoot the ball because there's we've moaned about this and the one that's not talking of passing or shooting the strength of your pass or shot is predicated on the length of time you hold the button down so just tap it you'll do a short pass hold it down you do a longer pass and a stronger pass you've got to sort of get used to sort of the, the uh, length of time you need to hold it down you can also affect the height that it kicks at. If you press the, so if you're running, so I'll, I like to say this: you're running to the right with the ball. If you're pressing the joystick to the right while you press the uh, you press the fire button, you'll do a flat ground level pass. If you're holding the joystick down in the direction you're running, you'll do a ground level pass. If you pull the opposite, so if you hold down the fire button, then pull the opposite direction, um, and then let go of the fire button, you'll do a lofted pass or so a high pass. You'll boot the ball high, and that's how you do that. If you hold down the fire button and let go of the joystick and then let go of the fire button, you'll do a mid level pass so somewhere in between low and high so you've got three different um heights that you can pass the ball at here along with the direction with the you know the five-way direction there's a lot of control and once you get used to this some nice passes and moves because you've got obviously these 11 players you've got plenty of people around you can pass and move and all that kind of stuff and it's good stuff you can also back heel it 
and you do this by pulling the direction quickly in the opposite direction as you let go of the fire button. That's tricky to get, tricky to do, but you can you can do it. So that's another option in your arsenal there. You can jump. So if the ball's in the air, you can jump, and the jumping animation's quite good. They properly leap and they try and head it. And you know if you get, you can knock it. And the the physics on this are pretty decent, and then the way that it'll bounce off you in the right direction. Um, so I like that. Um, you can also slide tackle. I think that's probably the first time I've seen the slide tackle as well. So you can slide in and try and stop the opposition. Don't be careful of this. You could foul the opposition. Um, so that you know you can give away fouls and when you crunch into the floor they roll up and it's like fetal ball like oh which made me laugh but it's good to see these kind of steps along the evolutionary ladder as we progress through these games so you've got loads of stuff you can do it, it feels like a more modern football game this this is the most modern football game we have played by by far in in my opinion and like i said you know all those controls all those players 11 people it got to run like treacle yeah but no it's snappy and it's fast there's no sign of flickering or glitches no matter how many players are on screen and that can sometimes mean a lot of sprites running about a lot you know moving all about the football players so they're not sticking around it's not anything there's some really clever technical code some really good sprite multiplexing going on here because it feels solid and it feels really fast and enjoyable and fun to play the goal is they do a decent job and there's goal kicks there's corners throw-ins they're all you know you run around and they'll aim it at you and you can hold it down longer to do a long throw and all this kind of stuff you can do that with corners yeah you can you know and you can even like i said you can choose whether to have auto goalie or control them yourself if you stick the difficulty level up this provides a really stiff challenge um you know once you get start get the hang of the controls and you start to put the difficulty level there's a really good uh, level of challenge here you can play co-op as i said you can play two versus the computer that's a good you know that's good to see as well you can have, like I said, all you've got to do is change the name of the team to something away from computers. So you can have as many people as you want in a league playing against each other. And you could set that up and then save it and come back. And when your mates around, you play their games, whatever. You can do all that. It can all be done. The wealth of options here and ability to edit this in any way you see fit, play a cup, league, championship, or season, be able to make subs, manage your team. It makes this the single best football game on the platform. Nothing else comes close to this. It is by far and away the best one. I was worried about this because I remember it being really fun back in the day and it was one of those games that we love um and i was like oh is it going to be as good and it is it's great fun to play i found myself having a number of tough and challenging games even and even scored a header from a corner have it um at the far post which is exactly what i attempted at the time i put my player at the far post i booted it over and sort of thing i came jumping in headed it and went top corner i was like yeah that's exactly what i wanted this felt like i had a degree of control for the one of the first times in one of these games this is a great football game and a great game and a real technical achievement on the machine. This is pushing the machine. It may not look it because it just looks like international football, but there's loads of stuff going on here. And it's a really impressive uh, package. And, you know, it's got, what did it get? It got 90, 90%, got a sizzler. And they said, I think one of them said, if, if it looked a bit better and sounded a bit better, it would have got a gold medal. And I think that's being churlish myself because I, I think this is a standout piece of software on the machine. Another, you know, another one where they've gone, this is how you do it. Now, now stop because this is how you make football games. It'd be interesting to see, we've got MicroPro Soccer coming up in the not-too-distant future, how that stands up against something like this, because I'm not sure. Might be good, might not be. I can't remember. This is awesome. I love this. But then again, I'm a massive footy fan. But I don't like all footy games, but there you go. What yeah, about you? True. Yeah, it's clever. Um, I was never really st- going to be stuck on any of these games. I'm not a whole, not into the football games or anything like that. But that said, um, what a really nice way of, of controlling the options so using a windows icons menus and pointers type system for for a gui really good idea Mm -hmm. really innovative to do that as well really innovative in a sea of amiga games why not you know but let's let's put it on the c64 and it works really well um really nice touch it felt like you had it felt like a natural way of presenting those options it might not have at the time but it 
it might not have, and by that i mean it would have looked completely different at the time but it makes complete sense when you do yeah. it when all those other games that try to cram all the text on the screen suddenly re- makes them look kind of naff it's yeah. kind of interesting so it's you know it's a clear let's just put a gui proper gui in it, it makes sense i love what they've compiled into this game i mean you know yeah football games aren't my thing fair enough but there's so many options and ways to make this game your own it, you can't help but like it for that um you know i i was never going to be great at it but I, I was in, I managed to get my team set up and I was in and playing it. And so it's got space for the people that want to do that. Mm-hmm. It's also got the space for the people that really want to get deeply into it as well. And it caters so well, so much going on on the screen. It's a bit of a technical powerhouse, this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think like you've rightly said, you know, you could look at this and think, eh, it's just like international soccer, but you'd be really doing yourself a mischief by thinking that. It might, you know, it's the same the players have a same sort of shape. That's the, really the only note. And there are some similar details, but it's football. So of course it's going to look similar, um, but yep. there is a lot to this. I d- still don't know if I prefer the top-down style. I think I'm jaded by Sensible Soccer on the Amiga because that's, that, that's the type of game I like, uh-huh. of that type. But this, hands down, the best football game, and certainly in the horizontal style, probably the best football game on the C64 by miles. I can't think of anything else that is better than that. I simply can't. Um, so all of the moves, I mean, like you said, if you're if, if you're wanting to play one of these games and you score a header from a corner or you get a really cheeky throw in and you get a nice turnaround of play, now, how many times have you wanted that to happen in all the football games? And it's never quite done it in the way you wanted. And there you are in this one, you've been able to do that. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's it's genuinely brilliant. It's not a game for me, but I totally dig it that it, it is really, really clever. And it's certainly the best football game we've we've ever seen, I think, on the C64. I can't think of anything better. And I don't I think there ever is after that. So, and I have to agree with you. I think Zap are being stupid with scoring for this. It should be a gold medal. Because I it's, think the so. pin, it's the pin, you know, if you're going to give a gold medal to the pinnacle of shoot 'em ups for Amalite, you've got to give a gold medal to the pinnacle of football games, which is Emlyn Hughes. So, no. And even, even Emlyn would have been happy with that. And he liked a video game or two in his time. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I don't know what you could have done to it to make it make it better. I don't, I, you know, no idea. No, because it's it's fidelity things, but they don't. You don't need them. You don't need them in the game. Unless, you know, you could, yeah. On other platforms, maybe the graphics look a bit more less blocky or whatever. Who cares? You know, you it's the speed what matters in a game like this. You've, you've, either, you've either got to have the speed. Match day two proved it. You can have all the bells and whistles you want, but if it's running around slow, football ain't a slow game. No, is it? So no, no. So uh, no, I thought this was really really good. Say not my not strictly my cup of tea, but I was in and playing this game and enjoying it for in my way. That wouldn't be the same way you enjoyed it, but this game caters for all of that. And I was mesmerised by the menu on it, the menu. Yeah, system, you just so. stick it onto one kick mode, you know, yeah. and then you totally can put, tone it how you want. Yeah, really nice, really I mean, good. Game. I've never played any. Of, I've never played since we played probably whatever that football game was on the N sixty four or whatever it was. Many that's you know I haven't oh, right, played yeah. any. <laughs> I've not really played any modern football but football games at all, not one. So I've never played a FIFA or anything like it on any of the modern consoles or anything. No, I, I don't play football games or, or anything like that. So I. But I totally see from what you've described before that this was obviously more like those kind of games than Sensible Soccer is or anything like that. So you know, is, all yes, of those param- so. parameters around the game that you can control, it looked and felt like it, you know, stick a fee- fee- C64 FIFA on that and you might, you wouldn't be far off, would you really? Yeah, I mean, version. modern FIFAs and Pro Evos and things like that, I mean, going, you know, and probably back to the PlayStation stuff, stuff like Three Lions and things like that, all side on. It got, yeah. it got got thingy to that quite quickly and you know this like i said with all those options and the the, the way you can tailor this mm. you know modern football games allow you to do exactly that single game matches cups whatever you want to do and obviously they have a lot more teams stuff like that but here you can just edit them as you want and then save it 
so, so it's a one track sort of sit down and have a bit of typing in but you're done done and in yeah like we Absolutely. said, what we said about track um, tracksuit ma- tracksuit manager the other week. Tracksuit manager, yep. People are sort of getting the hang of it and going, "This is how it to be done on this machine," and they've done it. There you go, Emily Hughes. What a what a cracker! That's a good way to start this half. Let's long may hmm. it continue. Long may it continue. <laughs> Graham, <laughs> does it continue? Because. You've got the joy of playing. Well, it's you know, it's another <laughs> it's another game that uses a, a menu system. This is a barbarian. Uh, yes, published by Melbourne House, which, which yeah. should sh- it should send a shiver down your spine. Copyright yeah. is Cygnosis, but no, Cygnosis weren't famous for their non sixteen bit things for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the developer is Icon Design. Ironically, right from the get go, everything about this is crap. <laughs> um, everything. <laughs> I'll go for, I'll, I'll press this down. There's a, a, there's a bloody essay that comes with it as a game, but I'll press it down. In the sleepy village of Thelston, <laughs> by the way, the village names and everything in this made me laugh a lot. In the sleepy village of Thelston lived an aging dragon slayer called Theron and his slayer in training son, Hagor, or Hagor. In a somewhat unfortunate turn of events, Theron was fighting a particularly nasty dragon one day, and even though he scared it off, it broke his neck with its tail and he buggered off. Um, Hagor was understandably miffed and swore to avenge his father's death. He went all over, killing all the dragons he could, but never found the one that killed his dad. Mm. Horrible. Many years later, Hagor, Hagor, had attained quite the dragon-killing reputation and, winning the Druid Inn pub in the village of Egdon, <laughs> um, heard rumours of a secret underground kingdom <laughs> ruled by someone called Necron, an evil kingdom full of evil. Um, I'll cut the story down a bit. As time went on, Hagar killed some more dragons and drank some more pints in the pub. Eventually, Hagon also heard his home village of Thelster was under attack from some arsehole called Necron, hmm, who turned out to be his uncle. Weird. On top of that, my, but the spoilers, by the way, sorry, I probably should have said that. Spoilers. On top yeah. of that, Necron commanded a dragon, but not just any dragon. It was old Neckbreaker, also known as Vulcuran, apparently. Anyway, it also turned out the underground kingdom was called Durgan, and there's a whole load of other shit I'm not going to go into. No, not worth it. There's a whole load of other shit you ain't never heard of. Nope. Anyway, in order to complete the game, you must locate and destroy the crystal, which is the source of the evil power of Necron. Once the crystal has been destroyed, the volcano in which Durgan is located will start to erupt, so you've got to get to the surface before it blows. That's the game. So all right. of the other preamble and all that stuff is just guff. Pointless, yep. pointless guff. Yep. <sighs> the game is a port from the pretty dull 16-bit versions. I remember playing this on an Atari ST, and I remember thinking it was amazing visually, but pretty crap. C64 one is crap visually and crap. <laughs> the graphics here yeah. are an 8-bit rendition of the 16-bit version, so blocky, badly shaded, and a lot of green and brown. Um, your main window is your gameplay window at the top, and then underneath that, control icons at the bottom. You control Hagar with the joystick-ish. Um, you have a mini crosshairs that you can click to the left or right of the sprite to make him go that way. Stupid, that is. Um or you can just go to the uh, controls along the bottom, the icons, which have directional arrows, and control them that way by making them move that way if you want. Makes sense with a mouse. Not with a joystick, it doesn't. Nope. Nope, it does not. So the game is essentially a flick screen adventure. And I mean, I mean, with soul due respect, it's utterly shit on the C64 in every way. You basically walk Hagar around and periodically slash with a sword or go up or down if you can, because by chance you might have been on the right thing to go down at the time when you need to go down. I mean, talk about porting a game and not applying any logic whatsoever. You find yourself asking a lot of questions with this game, Adrian. 
Why did no one think to just use the joystick on the C64 with all of its wonderful directions and fire buttons that enable walking and jumping and attacking? (laughs) Why did no one think to simplify the controls? The controls are really stupid in the game. Even even in a mouse-controlled version, they'd be stupid, but they make marginal more sense on a 16-bit computer with a mouse. Why did no one create a title screen for this? Oh, that title screen. <laughs> just just, just like eight words on the screen and a little bit of text. Why so did bad. no one care about this version? Why did no one say, don't release this game on the CC4 because it's crap? Why does Hagar have white hair, white pants, and really white teeth? <laughs> Why are there dildos and vibrators stuck in the ground in the background? Why are the rooms numbered? Why are there rooms? Why is there no run, but more of a power walk? We may never know the answer to these questions. <laughs> we never want to. The graphics are badly realised, and it's ugly on the whole, with crap enemies that don't do a lot. Medium res is the way here, with lots of Commodore colours that are not nice on the screen. It doesn't look very good. The animation on the main sprite is kind of slow, and a bit naff, generally naff. Mm-hmm. This, this the 60-bit version was quite famous for its look and its feel it's got that psygnosis polish psygnosis got a lot better at this stuff later down the line with things like shadow of the beast and shadow of the beast 2 and all that they became quite famous for that 16-bit look i mean they're you know they're famous and then they went on to do amazing stuff on this on the playstation i believe yeah so this yeah, is not their yeah. finest hour this yeah. is this is a downport and a bad one the game is also mostly silent now psygnosis games are also quite famous for their audio the amiga versions and this st version and such this is mm-hmm. basically silent. This is dreadful. This is really dreadful. There's no way this should have got 31%. This is, this is in the lower tens for me. This is utterly un, it's uncontrollable. It's unpleasant. There's nothing to it. You're just walking and periodically hacking at things. They call this a hack and slash. Are you having a laugh? Are you having a laugh? There's more hack and slash in Ghosts and Goblins. And that was out years before this. And it's better. And it's smaller. And it uses the damn joystick. Yeah. Everything about this, we were pre-warned by our amazing patrons, and they were right. This is just rubbish. It's rubbish at every level. This, this disgraces the name Barbarian, and this is something that Cygnosis should should have buried and never, never, ever released. It's awful, utterly, utterly dreadful. And there are no redeeming qualities to this. Nothing. Everything about it is rubbish. If you just press to the right, he'll carry on walking until he hits something that stops him. So, and I just walked past the ladder, and then I was just walking endlessly towards a wall, and I was like, that sums this game up. In every respect, it is a naff controlled walk around rubbish. Soldier of Fortune was better, and I didn't like that, but it's better than this. Just crap, yeah. crap adventure that nobody would want. Nobody wanted this. Nobody's going to like it. And I suspect nobody bought it at £10 as well. Rubbish. And I'm hoping that you you didn't enjoy it. Yeah. For all the right reasons. I mean. <laughs> yeah, my word. I think it was my first comment. My word. <laughs> This default from the 16-bit original is not so very bad. good at all. From the NAF visuals to the awful front-end presentation to the fact that I did three screens and it told me I'd completed 8% of the game already. Sounds about right. So I was trying to work it out. There's not much. Is the, the awful of the game to so the awful sounds. None of this make this worth playing. However, on top of this, to add an icon-driven movement controls, a la that droids game we played um, a while back, Ugh, onto the Steamy Mess makes this one of the most pointless games on the machine. It's barely playable. Swapping a mouse for a joystick pointer is never a good idea. There's nothing here that I can't do with a simple joystick and a couple of keys. There's nothing. There's nothing. Like it. his jump made me laugh out loud. His backward, <laughs> his backward jump, his backward oh, somersault, his forward, whatever. It just, I was laughing my head off. But why is that a single separate button? It's just. Well, all it is is walking left to right. So I can do. I do that in loads of games. <laughs> I do that in tons of them. Then you know, to f- swing my sword, I could press the fire button. To jump, I could press up. To jump backwards, I could press the opposite back and up. To turn around, I could just press left or right. Why is this not? Why? I could go up ladders. It's all you know. I could do all that. 
I don't know. It's beyond me. Probably because there's, there's, I reckon the reason they've left this in here is because there's barely any game here. If I complete eight yeah. percent after three screens, I didn't really do anything. There can't be much more to it. There's only ninety-two percent left of the game left, and uh, you know, work out so many screens, does it? What twenty or twenty-eight screens? Or something like, like that. It can't be much. Yeah. My last comment on this is that Crom would not be happy with this. That's no, he would not. High on his mountain, yeah. he would not be happy looking down upon this dribble. I mean, have they not played Rastan? I mean, Rastan wasn't great. Don't get me wrong. But it used the joystick. At least it did that, right? <laughs> yeah, true. They, they happen to share the name with Barbarian and Barbarian 2. And as much as we didn't like Barbarian 2 for, for certain reasons... Look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and don't forget as well. I mean, I, I do seem to remember playing a game called Usagi Yajimbo, which did loads yeah. with the joystick yep. and yep. no yep. keyboard. It's essentially this. There's no, yep. no difference, but apart from... That was ace, and this is crap. I bet Melbourne House wish they never, never licensed that one. Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean that's it, isn't it? People, Melbourne. That was Melbourne House as well, wasn't it? Beam yeah, software. Funny. Imagine Fist Two is controlled by icons. <laughs> yeah, not good. It's not a good idea, is it? But if Fist Two, if the, if the if it was icon driven sort of thing, the icons would not do what you think they would do because it was so buggy. You press <laughs> yeah, left true. and you jump. Just bad. And I, I actually had to look at the sixteen bit versions as well, and obviously graphically more interesting, but again. It's not great, but with a mouse, you've got a marginal, you know, you've got a fa- you've got faster movement around, but it's still a weird way to control something when you've got joystick ports. So, although I'm just looking at the Amstrad screenshots, that's not yeah, they're not good. Don't, they're not good at no, all. No, it's not. It's not good. It should never come down to anything without a mouse. No, don't deport games like this. Don't do it. We said the same thing, albeit for different reasons. With Star Glider, no, yeah. just leave them on the 16-bit platforms. It's okay. No one's, no one's, no one's crying himself to sleep because a crap barbarian game never made it to the C64. Nope. And Nobody I would is. worry that there's lots of children who got barbarian, but they got this version, not the bloody <laughs> palace version. Yeah. So there's a lot of people going, "This isn't the right one." And it's called barbarian. Get playing on it. <laughs> it looks funny. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Where's the guy chopping the guy's head off? Probably in there somewhere. Keep playing. It's one of those icons at the bottom. Yes. I'm off for a pint at the Druid Inn. See you later. (laughs) Down down in Egerton or whatever it was. (laughs) Egerton, yeah. Egerton. How could a game with an Egerton in it be bad? It was Egerton. It was Egerton. It was something stupid. (laughs) Egerton, sorry. Egerton. Oh, there we go. Barbarian. It was crap. Didn't deserve its 31%. Let's move on. We've got a couple left. Uh, And then we've got this one. Another... uh, after Soldier of Fortune, now we've got Mission Genocide. <laughs> Titles this week are crazy. And this is a budget shooter from Firebird. It was coded by Paul Shirley. You remember him from Confusion and Spin Dizzy. Aye. Yeah. Did okay. this. So when did he do this? <laughs> after it. After them. Well, there's, there's, an in, there's, a, there's a thing. On, I'll get to it. Anyway, I'll cover the game. Yeah. There's a bit I just want to sort of mention um, towards the end of this. So anyway, there is a plot of sorts. And then this is straight out of the game. Your planet, Chris Sit. That's and this is in capitals. Again, this is like the last ninja use of capital letters. They're all over the place. So C R Y S dash C I T. Chris Chris Kit Chris Sit has been ruthlessly attacked by the Bad Star. That's in capitals. Empire, which is not. In an unprovoked assault to subjugate your people, plan of defense and ultimate counterattack must be devised by the Chris citizens and forces gathered for retaliatory measures you are the coordinator of a small crack unit with a deadly mission you must destroy as much of the bad star empire as possible so that they are sufficiently weakened to prevent them from launching another possibly killer blow to your planet your briefing is complete the mission ready the code name ztb zap the bad stars <laughs> i mean it's i mean obviously 
you just moved a D from the end to the beginning, then it's instead of saying bastard, but you know. <laughs> so anyway, it's the bad stars, whatever. Whatever all this means, it's a pretty simplistic budget shooter. And it's heavily reminiscent of Warhawk, although it's a bit more stable in feel. It's got also a, a chunk of Zevius thrown in for good measure. Like I said, it's a relatively simplistic vertical scrolling blaster. It sees you shooting your way through 12 levels of constant scrolling action. Waves of enemies appear you know the drill and you just need to shoot or avoid them and that's about it you know it scrolls upwards waves come down you move about you shoot them if someone asks for the most generic vertical scrolling shooter you can make this would be it if someone just said can you make me a vertical scrolling shoot up yeah there you go okay yeah it's got waves it's got sine wave enemies it's got enemies that dot about it's got enemies that float towards you all everything you'd expect is here technically though there's some nice bits to this the game takes up the whole screen so that's nice so it's always nice to see that. Um, the scrolling is smooth, and the aliens, you know, they come in nice, well, they're, they're, you know, they're smooth waves as, as well. So everything <coughs> is nice, and there's no problems with anything. It's all fine. The bottom border is used for your score, a number of lives, a nice, quite, quite chunky font down the bottom. That's good. Uh, and you can gain an extra life every 10,000 points. There are also some power-ups to be had. So it's a bit of a step up from Warhawk in certain points. Uh, and these are displayed in the top border. And they, they're kind of reminiscent of those ones we saw in that... Um, the way that they're displayed, uh, that Trojan horse, that horse one, Odysseus, Trojan warrior one, the sort of similar sort of bar mechanic. So you've got these bar, you've got these big letters and a bar next to them, and that higher the bar, the more power you have in those kind of things. So, so you, yeah, they're displayed in the top border, and you get these power-ups by bombing the square ground-based targets with your missiles. Because, like I said, this kind of plays a bit like Xevious. If you hold down the fire button, then you just keep firing your lasers. So you're basic, you'll keep firing them. But you need to tap the fire button to drop missiles. So you need to sort of staccato hit it. So and that'll that'll fire a missile which blow which goes along the floor and that hits anything on the floor, it'll blow that up. And that's how you then release the sort of power-ups that you can then fly over and then that gets you the different power-ups. Power-ups you can get, you can get your classic speed-ups, you can get faster laser fire, uh, you can get faster missiles so they go up the screen quicker, and you can get a shield. So, you know, that's it. There's a weird touch to this though. All these power-ups have to be held to the ship by collecting blobs of glue. So it's kind of weird. But be careful not to collect any of the black holes that are found, as these uh, as this causes the glue to loosen and you lose a stage of your power-ups. It's a weird, a weird mechanic, but okay, it is what it is. You need glue to hold everything together, but if you get a black hole, then you'll, you'll sort of depower. Okay, fair enough. The level you are at in the power-ups is displayed in the icons in the top border, as I said. So this sort of goes up. You've got big letters. You've got M. S, L, and G, and you've got these bars next to them. And the higher the bar, the more you are in that, you know, missiles, lasers, speed up, glue. So, yeah, and that's about it, really. Um, it can be powered up three times. There's, there's, there are no end-of-level bosses. You just get to the end of a level, fly up in space, and then the next one just suddenly appears. It's like, Ooh, you're in the next one. Completion of a level takes the next one. Means, as I said, the graphics are okay. They're functional at best. Solid, chunky base relief-style backdrop for some of the levels. Um, I don't know if it was a, a quirk of the... Uh, the crack I had, but pressing run stop let me skip to the next level. I could just cycle through the levels. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the trainer on the, on the crack. Yeah, there. I didn't have it turned on though. That was the thing. Uh, it must just have been left in there somewhere. But yeah, yeah. It's, but it, what it did allow me to see is some of the graphics for the later levels, and they're quite different. I mean, I got to got quite far in it. Like the second level is like fruit based and completely different colors. So there's you know there's variety here from a visual standpoint. It's not brilliant. Your ship's a bit basic, 
and it all looks a bit basic but it is what it is it's a you know it it's a two quid shooter and for what it offers smooth power-ups loads of stuff to shoot high score chasing extra lives it does exactly what you want it's budget shoot affair and there's no problem with that it got 66 percent. it's fine it's not terrible it's it's just all right there's no music though which i think would have lifted this quite quite a lot because the sound effects are pretty basic so it feels functional it's just not very exciting it needed music i think you take the music out of warhawk and you'd probably feel the same way you felt about that you'd feel about this you just need a bit of music in there and i think this would have lifted it quite a lot however according to a post um on lemon 64 i didn't actually note down who wrote posted this so apologies for that but there's a it's the first post when you go look at this on the lemon 64 it says this this was actually a conversion from the amstrad original which paul Shirley did um i suppose that was a very clever piece of coding on that machine getting smooth vertical scrolling on it because it's not built to do that really so they had to do a lot of jiggery pokery behind the scenes so so it was a kind of considered a bit of a standout on that machine in the coding you know technical whoo, that's very impressive we've got managed to do that then it's ported over to the c64 though and the c64 is built for scrolling so the it doesn't you know the amount of vertical scrolling shooters that we've got and we've played through over the last couple of years on the machine this doesn't stand out as much and it you know it gets compared to your light forces your all those hades nebula or your warhawks all those you know there's tons of them we've had we've had loads your terra crestas your uh, slap fights the list is bloody endless it just goes on and on. There's tons of them. So here it just feels like a your basic two quid shooter because that's really what it is. Bit of music though. Bit of music might have been you know made it fare better. It's just it's just formulaic by this point. To quote the Chernobyl guy, sort of thing. It's not terrible. It's not great. It just is what it is. I, I didn't mind it. It just was a bit dull. What about you? Same really. Um, bit of a throwback. Base, very basic. Um, at least on the C64. Obviously, in other machines, it might be an amazing wonder. Um, we've seen this sort of stuff loads of times before. Done better as well in different ways. Um, it is, this isn't providing anything new. It's not providing anything particularly exciting. But it is functional. It does what it does. It's just not. It's not a very exciting game. Um, it's not really doing anything that Warhawk didn't do a billion years ago at the same price. Maybe there's marginally more variety in some of the levels but it's still the same sort of plan really um the sounds are a, a bit of a misfire but i think that's a shame because like you said it could have lifted it a bit that um the game logic it is what it is um like i said it might be a mastery of code on the amstrad and okay great but you know i'm looking at c64 average walk in the park for this kind of thing nothing's rocking my world here and there was way too much purple uh, on that first level <laughs> Um, yeah, but it got 66% and I, I think that's about right. It's about as average a budget shooter as you're going to get. It's uh, no, it's it's not offending anyone. Uh, no. And you know, and you would, you know, you stick it on an afternoon like you would with that Poltergeist which was a side scrolling version of this really. And um, it's not going to blow you blow your socks off. It's no Armalite or it's no, you know, any of the fancier top-down shooters, but it's not terrible. It, it functions and you can do stuff and it, and it, you know, you it might keep you occupied on a rainy afternoon. 66%, yeah. 2 quid though. That's not mm. a bad price for something like that. It's fairly, it's well, it's well put together. Yeah, it is. Not, not, it's not going to entice me away from other shooters or anything like. That. I've already got them. Yeah, uh, that post on Lemon Sixty Four is by someone called Ixian. I X I E N. Okay. So, credit where credits do. Yeah. So, so but in, in they put the they put the, there. You can see it's the first post on there. Yeah, um, yeah. There's not many comments about this, but it, you know, like you said, yeah, this is it's just as generic as generic comes. This isn't it really. And there we go. So that's Mission Genocide. Not terrible, not great. Let's move on. We've got one more game left uh, for this episode. Uh, and let's see what happens there. Because Graham 
this is interesting. Let's, let's see what this fares like. This is Sinbad and the Throne of the Falcon. It certainly is. Uh, Cinemaware did this. And it's always the case with Cinemaware credits for games. They are large and filmic-like. Mm-hmm. I'll go for the, the main ones. So written and directed by Bill Williams. I'm not sure who was responsible for the C64 conversion. There's a different name on Lemon, but I couldn't, I couldn't actually find any written evidence of that name anywhere to do with the game. All I could find was on the actual instructions for the game, even the C64 instructions, it says Bill Williams directed, exec producer was Robert and Phyllis Jacob, associate producer John Cutter, music was Bill Williams, and any additional out was Martha Williams. And it was just distributed by Cinemaware and Mirrorsoft in the uk um so i don't know make of that what you will it said the coding was by michael knox i think is who it's and tom jeffries or something to do with it they're not names i could find anywhere else but let's just add them in for the fun of it what does it matter if they did or didn't do it so sinbad and the throne of the falcon is a 14.99 disc only game it achieved a um interesting score of 80 percent um and it's another big cinematic epic attempt thankfully mm. More in the film-like tradition of the classic Cinemaware games, as opposed to the ones like Three Stooges. So it's less of a homage to stupid crap than more of a homage to a certain type of film. The story? Well, the alien caliph, father of Princess Silfani, has been transformed into a falcon via some dark conjuring. <laughs> Though no one is sure how, they all agree, the longer he remains a bird, the more bird seed he's going to eat. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, it's probably true. <laughs> The cost of trill to the crown is, is astronomical. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those sheets you got to put on the floor, it's just <laughs> sandpaper sheets. Exactly. Fill the room with mirrors that'll keep him occupied for weeks. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so if longer he's, the longer he's a bird, he's going to stay a bird. The longer he'll be a pretty polly. Exactly. The princess has summoned you, the mighty Sinbad, as you are sworn to protect the kingdom and the princess. And nothing stirs up trouble than when someone's transformed the leader of a very, very big city into a bird. Nothing. Anyway, the tasks ahead are challenging. Manage and guard the kingdom. Try and figure out how to save the caliph and turn him back into a human and keep the prince and princess safe. You have a fixed amount of time to do all this too. The sands of time run constantly and should they run out, it's a lifetime supply of millet and some cuttlefish needed. The game then is a varied combination of map management, strategy, asset management, sailing, and action sequences, not unlike Defender of the Crown in some ways, obviously tonally completely different, etc., and different you know, thematic. But the idea of thematic and the way the game plays out is kind of structured in a sort of scenes and set scenes kind of way. You start with an intro sequence, which is, um, um, I think it's the princess in your duel, and she summons you, essentially. Mm. Um, and you begin the quest, and then you're quickly moving your pointer with the joystick and choosing different places on a map around the kingdom of Dameron. Essentially, you are looking for clues or indications of ways to help the caliph or birdseed, maybe. Who knows? Um, you can head to port and sail your ship, the Saboralius or Sabsaboralis, to different locations. You'll run into some um, people and places, old crones, beggars, shaman, gypsies, all give you some info, potentially, or literally nothing. And in the background, you have the music, etc. The annoying, annoying music. And in between, you've got mini text inserts that detail things that happen. There's a format to these Cinemaware games. There's a formula. Strangely, um, the formula of this works well for Defender of the Crown. And it works okay for Rocket Ranger. It doesn't work so well for this or for It Came From The Desert. For reasons I'm not really 100% sure about, but I'll try and explore a little bit of it, maybe. But anyway... There's quite a lot to this. Um, you have to manage parts of the city, so you, sort of city resources, which means managing a kind of weird grid view of resources and unit strengths and positioning them around this giant grid screen 
and keeping things in check. I have no idea what I was doing there, even with the instructions to help. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of clicked on things. And it said the strength of something and an arrow pointing in a direction. I was like, okay. Anyway, um, so you have all that to sort of think about because at the end of the day, the idea of, of a multifaceted direction of the game is that you ha- you have side quests. If it's like it's kind of sort of forward thinking a little bit in some ways, but um, you've got mini action sequences like running across a landscape, uh, jumping over holes, uh, jumping over spiders, avoiding birds, dropping rocks, or fighting a giant statue with glowing eyes in a weird first person wave your sword around thing, or slingshotting a cyclops. Always fun. Um, everyone likes to shoot uh, things at the giant eye. <laughs> or firing giant arrows at a deadly Pteranoxos. Yeah. Um, or Pteranoxos, whatever. You'll meet and chat to people like the genie in there, um, or the saucy Libertina, who will woo you with a sexy lip dance. Um, <laughs> will she? Will she really? I'm not so sure about that. Um, the format here is kind of map, signs, possible actions, etc. It doesn't stray too far from that until you've saved the caliph until you have saved the caliph from his bird-like fate. The disk drive access breaks up the flow a lot with this. This is a 16-bit port, deport or a port version on this. Mm-hmm. And unlike Defender of the Crown, which seemed to work better on the C64, for again, for reasons I'll come I'll sort of address and I'll be very interested to hear what your thoughts are as well. Um, but there are some really uncomfortable disc flip points in this. Um, now there is a version you can get, you know, clever technology being what it is, where it's like a easy cart version where you can just everything's on. There's actually one someone one-sided this for a start. So some super brains cracking group, one-sided or two-sided game. So you can actually just play the one-sided version on disc if you want. Yeah. Or you can just play the easy flash cart version, which is kind of instant load, insta-load, which is, you know. But when you do that, all of the problems of the game around the bit that you keep having to do become even more prominent. It actually makes makes some of the problems of the game a lot more visually there because the gaps and the breakups, as much as they're annoying when the disc loads, it don't you don't realise how often you're doing something the same until it's sort of very quickly done one after another. So again, I'll come to that. Mm-hmm. So while there are some nice images of um, of some of the characters and the princess graphic at the beginning, pretty good, Sinbad's graphic, okay, and some nice scene setting parts, other parts are a lot more dull looking. The map is quite daunting when you're presented with it, not like the one in Defender of the Crown where you get a map and it's, you know, and it's fairly easy to read. This one's a map, it's crazy how many places are on it. Yep. When you first look at it, you're like, I've got to visit all that. Um, and, you know, just enjoy being a bird, Khalif, because I ain't finding your bloody, I ain't finding anything to help you in amongst that lot. It's massively daunting when you see the map. Um, now, the problem with that is when you see that, um, you think, oh my God, I've got so many locations and I've got, and I've only got a little time. But the imperative doesn't drive you to think, right, I've got to help, I've got to find it. You just think, no. I, I, it makes you feel like you're never going to do it because it looks like an impossible task. Um, the dialogue sections seem really stilted and really dull in this. It's, the, it's really crap script if this was actually a film and you were watching it you'd be laughing your head off at how bad the lame the speeches in between the two people some of Sinbad's crappy one-liners when he's trying to be cool or whatever mm-hmm. and it's obvious which one because it comes up with this it's a similar way to I suppose games later down the line that have that kind of multi-dialogue you, you know it presents you with a dialogue option a bit like um point and click game do but yeah. you know you've got to pick one of the three options and you know but in this game it's obvious which one is the obvious one and which one you shouldn't pick if you pick the wrong one they're just going to say, I don't know anything, or, you know, you're just going to be straight off and back onto the, you know, the science clicking page. But if they do have something to say, then you, you've got to tease information out of them. It's not, it's not hard to figure out which route to do that or which route to woo the woman. You know, just come out with um, something saucy to the saucy woman and she'll do the lip dance at the drop of a hat. <laughs> so, so the dialogue in it is pretty dull and it's not very exciting or interesting. And also, it, considering you're meant to be sort of trying to, desperately trying to find something out, none of the conversations are either 
he doesn't look particularly stressed or in peril. Now, and everyone looking at you talk to looks bored out of their mind, yep. including the genie. And then, of course, um, they either lead to nowhere or to another location. So, so you either get a bit of information or it's just like, I don't know anything. And then you're back to the map. And, but in between all of this, you're presented with an image which is Sinbad on the right. And you've got a ch- you can choose with your little pointer arrow. Like a, we can control left. your joystick on the left. Sorry, you control control your arrow with the joystick, and on the right there's the sa- there's a sign with three directions on it, <laughs> and that's just how you navigate. So you, you know, and why you can't just go on click? You may as well just be on the map screen and move the little star thing around. Just click on a map name. Mm-hmm. Why you have to go to this elaborate signposting thing? Because it's boring, and that's what I mean when you start to um, play this in a game like an easy flashcard where that screen comes up a lot. So you realize how boring that is to do. So you just perpetually go click nothing click. Nothing. It's just like it's like a tour of all the wooden posted signs of Arabia at the time. You're like, oh, this is Sinbad and the thousand and one wooden signs. It's, it's not very exciting. Sinbad and the forty post. It is. It's not very exciting, is it? So travel is is often really in this. It's just select a place, map view, move. Nothing. Select a place, something happens, and that's kind of how it plays. So you know, in bet- when you go to sometimes when you go to a location, something will happen. Usually, it's pretty dull. You can check in on the map and the princess at all times with the crystal, but it all still feels a bit dull. When you go to the crystal, you get this little display. It's a you can see how much time you got left. You can go check on the resources, or you can see how the princess is doing. And I can tell you, it's the same image of the princess every time, and she's not doing very well. So just save you looking. <laughs> yeah, true. The mini games, such as they are, feel pretty weak compared to those in other cinemaware games. I think they're one of the, some of the worst I've seen. And this is something that it came from the desert suffered from as well. The same problem. If the mini games don't support the, the narrative properly, and they don't feel like they're a core part of the narrative, because that's a key part of the action sequences in Defender of the Crown, if they're not thematically there properly, they feel really naff in the yep. game. They feel mm-hmm. stuck in. So um, the graphics are generally weaker anyway, but they're pretty badly realized sprites. I mean, there's laughable, the one where Sinbad's running across the bottom of the screen, jumping over pits and avoiding the bird rocks and the spiders. Oh, the one it's in just the cave. laughable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, just, yeah it's just naff. And the, and the, yes, yeah, when you're fighting the sword thing and you've got the sword image at the bottom and it's kind of a, almost a quasi-first person view, it still feels now. Nobody fights with a sword in that position where well, you just stick it in the middle of your chest and waggle it around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's really stupid. It was, why Why those anyway? So like I said, graphics are genuinely weaker in those sections. The sequence with the Cyclops where we have to slingshot it is just laughable, let alone the giant bird attack. It's just, and there's, and there's only four of them, I think, in the C64 version. There's more in the 16-bit versions. Right. And there's more sequences, but obviously 64 versions cut down a bit. Something they didn't do first Defender of the Crown. Well, no, they, I find they it made it better, odd. didn't they? Defender of the yeah, Crown is what the better I mean. version. So I, so I don't get quite what's happened there. Because it's not that there's more graphics in this. Because I think there's less graphics in this than there is in Defender of the Crown by miles. The sequences in the games aren't as good. And, and that's the, I'm comparing it to Defender of the Crown because that's the last big cinema game that's of this filmic type, this yeah, sort of yeah. film narrative type. So, and also the other thing with the I found with this, some of the in-games, they're actually basically impossible. They're, almost, they're stupidly hard. I mean, you don't get. There's no margin for error in any of these mini games. If you if you if you cock up, you, that's it. You're going down. Um, you know, you trip up yeah. in in that cave, and that's it. You're done for. And, it's, and that is really stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that haunts the, these games because that happens in Rocket Ranger later, and it also happens in um, it came from the desert. But obviously, we'll we'll deal with them later. Um, which it didn't so do. Probably, in Def- which it didn't do in Defender of the Crown. It's, it's exactly. So this is what is strange about that. And again, I'll come back to that towards the end. The end because I'm I'm wrapping up. Um, none of the games feel very epic at all. None of this feels very epic. It all feels, they all feel like a bit of an afterthought. Very little ties them to the overall narrative of the game. It's like they're in it because they have to be in order to make this more than just a map-based point-and-click tour of, you know, of Damaran. 
because that's all it really is. There's not a lot to it. Tonally, this feels completely off. It's in keeping with the basics of, of the Sinbad movies. Okay. And there's an ex- extended description of all the Sinbad movies, which is actually quite an interesting reading the manual for this at the back of the manual, which is okay. And I get that. Um, but unfortunately, um, it doesn't really engage in the central Arabian Nights theme. This game just doesn't, it's trying to capture something and it misses. It doesn't capture it. That's mm. a big problem because Defender of the Crown didn't do that. Defender of the Crown captured medieval stuff. Yeah. But then again, the games in there were medievally. Sword fighting up the stairs is medievally and jousting and things like that. Firing yeah. a slingshot, a badly animated one-eyed creature in this is no, you know, yes, Cyclops are in the Sinbad movies, the Harryhausen ones particularly, but this, this is nothing like any of those. They'd have been better making it a bit more, thinking of it in a bit more of a different way. I don't know, maybe a bit more like fighting warrior. I know we didn't like that, but that kind of walking around, walking along fighting might have served them better for something like this as opposed to what they've tried. It, I, I don't think, and I'm, this is something that it's, I felt more by playing this than I thought I would, that the predominantly white cast of the Sinbad game here, I found that problem. I found it a bit of a problem. And it's a problem that we know. We know about the the whole, um, the movies and everything else, because most all the Sinbad characters are all white guys. Some of them in blackface, which is kind of unforgivable, obviously. But this game is the kind of a weird white person version of Sinbad. And I get what they would, you know, at the time they were mirroring the films and everything, but... I, fa- I just found it a problem. I find it problematic to play through now, looking at it through the more that lens. I just find that a little bit of a problem. Um, and the classic issue, really, that it has is that it's it's in emulating everything about the Sinbad movies they've done. They've missed the mark. They haven't captured the apart from the title. They haven't really captured the essence of a Sinbad movie. And they've emulated all the bits that make those Sinbad movies problematic as well and not put the action bits in that they're famous for. They're famous for certain action sequences. If you'd have put some of that in, like Defender of the Crown did, you'd have been better. It doesn't do that. So it felt a bit rubbish. The game lacks the thematic coherence of Defender of the Crown. And because of that, it feels disjointed and really awkward. You don't feel any affinity for the characters. They all feel completely undeveloped and massively over-stereotypical. Genies of lamps and mysterious, seductive, you know, Eastern women and... It's all a bit naff. It's all not right. It doesn't feel right. And it's worse through a modern lens. And so instead of the wild Arabian adventures, heading on the seven seas with Sinbad and fighting all sorts of weird and wonderful creatures, you're clicking on maps, running from birds that lob rocks at you, click, looking at loads of wooden posted signs, periodically going into your ship, which is dull. It's just not very good. What a shame. I see what they wanted to try and capture, but they missed. And when they missed it, badly missed. Shame. Rocket Ranger pulls it back in a bit for them but this is for me a real big misfire for cinemaware and it's made me realize that when it goes wrong it goes wrong and what did you think of it i'd be really interested in your opinion of this yeah i i wasn't sure what to really make of this i mean i'd never played it before this was past where i was getting them so it was all new to me i mean some of the production values are good there's some excellent static images and the like obviously but they're just taken from the Amiga version and down to the C64. When you look at them, they're just C64. So, okay. But, I, I mean, I I didn't like a single one of the mini games, and, no. and, and no. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that's a really good point of, like, how none of the mini games actually feel like Sinbad. Like, no. I don't remember Sinbad ever with a, you know, a slingshot firing at a, a Cyclops in, in a cave. I, well, this Cyclops fight is a big fight with loads of them jumping around and sword fighting and stuff. And they could have they could have done loads of things with this. I mean, and I, and I think the wandering, aimless wandering around a map, hoping to find stuff, is never a good. It's never a good. No, you know, it's never a good gameplay conceit. It's like give me a quest. I'm on a quest. The thing with the Sinbad films is that you know he's on a quest. They're like, right, we need to go here. 
to get this and we go there and we know the monster we need to overcome these things these mythical things and then we yes. get this thing and then we head to so and so we learn where to go from there and that's what this should yes. have been and you could have done loads of things i mean I'm, off the top of my head you could have had sirens clashing rocks you know you could have had a bit yep. where you've got to navigate yep. through some rocks clashing together and i could see that in that cinema style of like high-res thing and you got yep. the, and you could and you know randomize these up a little bit change them up a bit and make them more thematically consistent with a quest what you're doing here is as you said it's just randomly moving from signpost to signpost and hoping something happens that's right and also just as an, an, a note as well just occurred to me that simba very rarely fights in isolation in those movies yeah. he's often with his crew fighting and there's yeah, exactly. none of that here whereas in defender of the crown at the sword fighting bit there's somebody sword fighting in the background isn't there? there's more of you you yeah. control one but in the background there's others yeah exactly and the other thing as well is that, that and then you've got that weird sort of war map bit for reasons that I couldn't, oh, I, I couldn't stupid. figure out. It's like, what? I just was moving. I don't like, no, this makes no sense. I don't understand what's going on here. I don't know what you're going for. Are you going for a you know, kind of a, a strategy game, a la sort of Total War and things like that? Are you going for that kind of strategy game here where you're implementing bits of risk and things of that where you, you know, you've got troops that you're moving around? And they, okay, if you're going for that, then double down on that and make that. If you're going for this big epic, Sinbad adventure, then work out all those bits and go for that. You don't need that war stuff. It's a quest. Since when was Sinbad the captain of a an armada or anything? You want a quest? Yeah. You know this shares the name Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Sinbad and the what's what's the other one? Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Sinbad and the Golden Voyage. Golden of Voyage. Golden Voyage. Sinbad. Sinbad and the Throne of the Falcon. They've got the name right. It's a good name, and it can lead. Yeah. You know. You know this isn't the first time where someone's been turned into an animal of some sort. I mean, the, the prince turned into a baboon in one of them in one of the films if i remember rightly yes it did yes yeah, it's pretty much where they ripped the story off yeah, yeah so they linked it from there so it's fine i don't mind that but then make like you said make the mini games that that underground cave one is just stupid it's like you go to a place yeah. and suddenly there's an earthquake and you're in a cave like what a eh? what's this yeah. got to do with anything and then why make the pixel plat- platforming so pixel perfect and you just fall and then you don't do mm. it you're dead game over back to beginning like no you could fail the castle raids and stuff in thingy, and it would just okay. That didn't go well. But you, you yes. you're not dead. You could have the battles. They didn't go well. You, you lose at the jousting. They're yeah, fine, but you carry on. Yeah, there's none of that in this. It all comes to a sudden sudden stop. Like, done. Yes. Back to the beginning. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. The actual moment to moment moving from city to city. It just felt arbitrary. I did, couldn't find it. No Defender of the Crown, this, that's for sure. I felt this was, yeah, I think you're, you're right in your criticisms. I mean, that shooting that bird was so, I, I bet, you know, you, you're either going to do it by sheer luck. And it reminded me, that shooting the bird reminded me of shooting the antennas on the ants. Yes, in, in, exactly. In, in, uh, it came from the desert because that was yep. goddamn annoying. Painful. Yeah. Yep. You know, and uh, I mean, uh, at least that felt thematically consistent. You were shooting an ant because it was about giant ants escaping yes. from the hospital because you got put in there and you had to escape, although you shouldn't really, have, you know, whatever. Yeah, I kind of yeah. got those bits. These mini games make no sense. And no. thus the, uh, the entire plot of this just falls apart into a, a series of empty, hollow, rubbish experiences that don't hold together into a cohesive narrative. It didn't even give you an indication on the map of where you'd been. No. On a, on, on a map of that scale with so many place names on it, I mean, there must be, what, 100 locations on there? Easily. Yeah, what, what's the point? Loads. What's the point of it? Exactly. Just give me a quest. You're heading here first. Yep. Or do you want to head here? You've got two bits of information. Do you want to go here or here? You can find... It's a quest. Give me a quest. Yeah, yeah. So can you imagine if, quests. if Lucasfilm's Indiana Jones game just gave you the map of the world and said, right, you've got to find the, you know, the whatever. Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, where do I click? You know, it's now it's... 
you know, it's obvious that there's the, you know, the journey part of Indiana Jones is important, but it takes that you don't need to explore all the other places. You just go to that place and look in that location and find it there and then go to another place and yes. little mini sequences. I don't get why they, I don't get how they didn't get that from all the films, Sinbad films that all do that. <laughs> or Jason and the Argonauts or all yeah. those kind of things that you, you know, those kind of, you know, sword and sandals yeah. type stuff that was absolutely, that, was, absolutely. that all followed that same plot beats. If you're going to do one yes. of them then don't make it this, open-ended narrativeless characterless empty void which is what this kind of was and why is that silly woman doing the lip dance even really (laughs) no we'll never know they just just, so they just obviously got someone in for you know and someone enjoyed making those lips giant lips wobbling around the screen oh dear (laughs) it's not what you want is it So that's it. That's it for um, our games for this uh, this week. Uh, what did we look at? Well, we looked at Cybernoid 2. Stupid, difficult. Difficult and unfair. Pink Panther, difficult to believe. Um, Soldier of Fortune, no, no. Mm, wrong name for that game. Yeah, Street Sports Soccer, bit empty. Then the excellent Emily Hughes' International Soccer, which is clearly the yeah. highlight of the week by some margin. Barbarian, pointless. Yeah. Bison Genocide, was okay. And Simban the Throne of the Falcon, which was... Yeah, as we said. Now, we do have a crap burp. Oh, we do. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? What's going on with that? Why? It's so much blurry motion blur. Motion blur madness. This is uh, eight explosive sports experiences. Sports World 88. Someone's gone mad with the motion blur. <laughs> oh, my God. They really have lost it. <laughs> I looked at this and thought it was ace. I mean, this is a compl- this is, so this is an advert for a compilation. And to be fair, there's four decent games on here. It's Force and Inches, Leaderboard, Tenth Frame, and Hardball. And mm. Go for Gold, actually. Five. Yeah, that was all right. Snooker and Pool's on there, though. Yeah. You'd never play that. No. Water Polo? No. I mean, it was okay. Mm. Mm, it's all right. Tag Team Wrestling, I don't really remember much. But no. they've tried to represent each of the sports in a small windows at the top. But they've tried <laughs> to sort that. of do it as movement and down at the bottom there's some guy just jumping <laughs> but but everything has been motion blurred motion, <laughs> motion blurred within an inch of its life <laughs> goodness to such me a degree it's you... in my eyes <laughs> i can't even i can't even work out what that sport is in the bottom right is that the wrestling one i don't, I don't know i'm trying to figure out why this it looks to me like the top left is some kind of frenchman like a mime <laughs> it looks think... like it's attacking attacking paul daniels I think like that's a miniature bowl- version of Paul Daniels. I think it's the bowling. So there's bowling, and then is that golf? I think that's golf. golf that's the second one. Then it's American football. Then I think that's supposed- snooker. I think. What, 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 since when have you ever seen motion blur in a snooker player? <laughs> yeah, the snooker speeding around the old uh, <laughs> snooker I mean, not, table. Not aren't even they? Jimmy White or what's his face, uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, are known. You know, they're not going to create motion blur. The guy was called Hurricane Higgins, and he was never motion blur Hurricane Higgins, was he? So, <laughs> no. no, Will Jimmy Whirlwind White, like you say, you know, he's, he, no, and it's like looks to me like the, the the soccer player's exploded, he's on fire. Yeah, uh, I'm guessing that one in the bottom bottom left is that it's either going for gold or tag team wrestling. It must be the wrestling. Where's the swimming then? Which one's the well, swimming? I presume that's one second bottom from right because there's someone blurry holding a ball. Oh, uh, it must be. Yeah, is that in the water? It's red. No, it looks to me that actually Weird. looks like something from a Cronenberg film. It is a Cronenberg, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely. looks like some body horror nightmare. It's like faces and hands, and it looks because it looks like it looks like the shunt. It does. I mean, call me old-fashioned, but I always imagined baseball was played with one bat. 
<laughs> not three. I, no, and I also reckon that they've got some of them from there who used to play baseball in the 1910s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, I'm sure that's a modern... No, they've gone to the costume shop for that, haven't they? <laughs> you got any white they've shorts? They've gone down the road to, uh, to the fancy dress shop at the time and gone, right, we need a basketball outfit. <laughs> Sorry, we need a baseball outfit, you know, a, a snooker. <laughs> and the, this is what they come back with. And the reason why the swimmers blur it out like that is because they can't have a swimming outfit because it'd just basically be someone in... in you know, <laughs> Swim shorts, wouldn't it? So? Just, I don't know. Uh, terrible, I saw just terrible. Just laughed a lot when I saw that. Why did they do that? This is what I mean. It's US gold, so that explains it. But why did they do that? Why didn't they let the games speak for themselves a bit more? Especially when you've got classics like leaderboard, hardball, fourth and inches, tenth frame. Yeah, people know those games, and you could just put graphics from them, and you'd be yeah. done. Rather than these little that. crappy pictures they put around the edges. But also, exactly. to make survival of the fittest designed for the toughest. Have they played snooker? <laughs> Clearly they've played death snooker. <laughs> you know, they've obviously been watching, uh, you know, Big Break, you know, the, the after the after 10pm version. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, it's dreadful, isn't <laughs> so it? So shit. Yeah, it's bad. Motion, And that's not even real proper motion blur either. When that guy who's at the bottom who's jumping up, punching in the air, that isn't motion blur. That's just bad. Bad yeah, photography. It really is. It's awful. <laughs> Yeah, that's just that you know, he had his uh, he's had his shutter speed up. It was all wrong. It was it was it was just a little bit too now too slow and too open. The wrong he had the wrong film in there, didn't he? Yeah, we'll try and create something really dynamic and try and capture the movement of a golfer and a snooker player. <laughs> no. yeah. We'll get a sports person, an actual sports person on there, not just some guy who's, who work, who makes the tea in the office down the road. Yeah, <laughs> and stick him in a US gold t shirt and stick a pair of shorts oh, on yeah. and make him jump yeah. jump and punch his fist in the air badly. <laughs> who is he? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, there we go. There's only one this week, but it was a good one. That made me laugh. Not good. It's not good, is it? Uh, There we go. That's our crap vote for the week. Let's go on. We've got some charts in from uh, from Commodore User. Um, In at number 10, sorry, down to number 10 is Rally Driver. Um, New entry at number nine is Peter Beardsley's Football. Don't remember Um, that. We haven't played that yet. We have got that coming, I think. uh, Down to number eight is Battleships. Uh, okay. New entry at number seven is Gauntlet uh, on a budget, budget. label. Yeah, uh, Down to number six is Hawkeye. Down to number five mm-hmm. is Football Manager 2. Uh, new entry in at number four is Bomb Jack. Again, budget re-release. Down to number three, Tracksuit Manager. Uh, in at number okay. two is just Daily Thompson. He's not doing out. Oh, he's he just in at number two. <laughs> he's doing a number two. He's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then new entry uh, in at number one is Barbarian 2. Okay. So just got yeah, his yeah. release, I guess. Also in the charts, School Days at number 11, Yogi Bear at number 12. That's climbing, oh. essentially. Airwolf <laughs> down to number 13. Uh, Compilation We Are the Champions at 14. Dizzy at 15. Outrun at 16. Ace at 17. Salamander mm. down to 18, all the way from number three. That's a big fall. Uh, Street Gang. Street Gang? Not sure Street what that one gang? is. Number 19. And Road Blasters at number 20. Oh dear. What a great chart, that. No, it's not. We have a lot of games to look to uh, get through uh, over the over December. So it's a four-parter. Um, wow. I think it's about 28, 29, nearly 30 games to get through. I'll try and go through these to see if I remember if I can see what we haven't looked at before. 1943, Around the World in 80 mm-hmm. Days, Battle Island, Bubble Ghost, Captain Blood, yeah. uh, Cheapskate, Combat Links. Uh, okay. Not sure if we've looked at Corruption before. Don't think so. Uh, then I've looked at Fifth Gear, Fighter Pilot, Final Assault, uh, the game Summer Edition, mm. Hopper Copper. Finally. <laughs> The, the, yeah, it's Dennis Hopper. 
<laughs> it was made made by who was it who made it we we saw his first game attempt and i said in that review he said oh it's the from the guy that made hopper cop and we're like well, when we'll get to play that and here yeah. we are we got it now but it's uh, come true i hope it is dennis hopper uh <laughs> joe blade 2 trying to pick out the ones that aren't re- re-releases nato assault that's mm. actually called that's actually nato assault course i think okay um which made me think about why would nato have an assault course anyway overlander um panzer striking okay. that's a uh, thingy one uh, maneuvers. There's the Pepsi Mad Mix Challenge. Mm. I like the sound of that. <laughs> Partial credit. <laughs> Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Bears is international football. We'll get to see if it's any good, whether it deserves to be in the um, in the charts. Pool of Radiance. I don't think we're looking at because that that's in the uh, strategy bit. Uh, mm. Power Play. We've looked at for Power Pyramids. Okay. Uh, Pro Skateboard Simulator. Guess who's that's going to yeah. be by? Yeah, three guesses. Same people who did Pro Ski Simulator right next to it. Oh, no. Pulse Warrior, a Purple Heart, okay. The Race Against Time, mm-hmm. uh, Savage. 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 Scorpion. Savage. Uh, okay. Slayer. Slayer, that's in there. Okay. S- Street Gang. Uh, there's uh, Super Dragon Slayer. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. All right. That's an interesting bunch. Yeah, I don't think they are. Not but we'll see. We'll see. So that's, yeah, so we've got four more episodes left uh, where we cover December of the next four episodes. And then, obviously, you know, it's time for the Breadbin Awards for this year. Rapidly approaching. Yeah, so God knows what that's going to look like. But, yeah, so we've got a lot of games still to come. Um, and then, obviously, we'll be then into 1989. Who knows what goes on there? Interesting mm. stuff. We'll talk about that near the time. If you wish to support the podcast, you can do. Um, you can do that financially if you wish to by going over to patreon.com forward slash zap to the past for about four fifty, four pound fifty, whatever that is in your local currency. Um, you can get the full fat experience. You can get the episodes early, ad free. You get to ask us questions for the Ask the Podcast. You get access to our Discord server um, and things like that. So that's worth doing. Um, and also get to be included when we do any crazy stuff like we did for the uh, 100th episode. It's all worth it, you know, and it helps us out massively as well. So that'd be cool if you could go do that. It's also Kofi. I don't know. What's our Kofi website address? I can never remember it. Just search for that to the past Kofi. You'll find it. It's on the show notes. It is on the show notes. Anyway, just, yeah, go kofi.com, stuff to the past. It's something like that. And yeah, so you could do that if you want. If you don't, share, review, whatever, tell people about us. It's all good fun. Um, we've still got loads left to go. And so, you know, we're not going anywhere quite yet. Um, and that's another episode. Have you got anything you wish to add, Graham? No, no, no. We're rapidly approaching those uh, bread bins. I don't know if I'm looking forward to them or dreading them with every <laughs> ounce of my being. But um, there's been some. There has been some amazing highlights. And just um, unusually, I'm not seeing. I mean, with this, maybe with the exception of Armalite, maybe. But I'm. Not, I'm wait. I've been waiting for that last minute contender to come in and knock everything out of the park. And because it has done in the previous years, there's always been a, a late entry December game that's made us go, wow. But looking at that list, I didn't really see anything in there that's I remember. But you know what? Sometimes you don't remember things, do you? So let's see what happens. We'll see what happens. Now it's going to be interesting to see what goes on there. No, I've got nothing more to add. Um, so I think we'll we'll leave you to the rest we'll of your day up. or whatever it is you're getting onto. So as ever, I have been Adrian Mills, and I have been Graham. I am not a bird, Raddings. <laughs> and you have been listening to Emlyn's Moon and the Chestnut Soldier. <laughs> whatever it was <laughs> and yeah. we will st- Stick, sticking up your chestnut soldier here <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> we will see you again next week goodbye thank you for listening to the zap to the past podcast 
We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.